You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello and welcome to a very sad, somber episode of the Oz Network. But we're going to have fun because we're talking about zombies and George Romero and everything everybody loves. Um, we're very excited to be here to celebrate the death. <laughs> this is a bad way to start the wow. episode. We're, we're coming off of sadly uh killing roger moore a few (laughs) months ago uh we said nothing about george romero just want to say that uh before this episode aired but we are here to talk about uh the great george romero that ben and i are not that familiar with uh but uh there's gonna be lots of fun to be had over the next couple weeks we're gonna do a series of episodes uh my name is colin and johnny has the keys johnny has my keys and my name is ben and he grabbed me he grabbed me and ripped at my clothes, and I screamed, Johnny, Johnny, help me! And I got so afraid, and I ran, and I ran, and Johnny didn't come, and we have to wait for Johnny! Please, don't you hear me? We have to go get Johnny, please! <laughs> it's amazing that for a character that dies four minutes in this movie, he is both of our quotes, <laughs> and probably going to be half of what we talk about Poor here. Poor Johnny. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, oh. You know, hashtag rest in peace, Just Johnny. Just <laughs> just to, uh, I guess, give a bit of a setup of what we're doing for everybody that hasn't looked at the title of the episode you just downloaded. We're here to talk about 1968 horror movie classic. Oh, shit, I Night thought it was the 1991. Dead. Fuck, I've watched the wrong one. Oh, <laughs> starting in. <laughs> but, yeah, with the passing of George Romero last week, which I think came during our recording of another podcast, we kind of mention it loosely as it was over it's like oh george romero died which i had some knowledge of i've seen i think maybe half of these living dead movies he has there's about six of them i haven't seen all three that we're going to be covering here ben you'd seen none of them we're both familiar with him we know he has a huge fan base out there that'd be really interesting to do this we've been wanting to cover some movies that now, A, we're not, like, massive fanatics of, like we are a blast from the past with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, die, Brendan becoming... Fraser. Don't die, Brendan Fraser! Don't die, Brendan Fraser! We're becoming the most uncool podcast hosts in the world, as we're, like, not really familiar with George Romero. Brendan Fraser! Yeah! <laughs> um, but, yeah, we're going to be the cool guys today and talk about everybody's favorite uh, horror filmmaker master, George Romero. And starting with uh, the original Living Dead film, Night of the Living Dead, not 1990 remake, not 2000 or whatever million remakes there are, which we'll get into the reasons why, but Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Ben, I'll get your opinions in a second uh, because you had never seen this before, but I guess just as a bit of my background, uh, I did see this movie, I think it was probably around 2005, and I remember I... I was working very late nights. I was sometimes getting off at 2.30 in the morning, and then by the time I'd get home, it would be like 3.30 in the morning. I'd eat, it would be like 4 in the morning, and there's not a lot on TV. You know, sometimes you'd turn on cable, uh, some cable channel, and they'd have something playing, and I just saw Night of the Living Dead was on. I figured I'd never seen this before. Let me watch it for five minutes, figuring I'd be bored with it. (laughs) And I ended up staying up until 6, 6.30 in the morning watching the entire thing. I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I saw it one more time. I ended up finding it in like a bargain bin and buying it uh, uh, for like, I don't know, $5 or something like that. Uh, but haven't seen it again since, you know, maybe about 10 years. But uh, it's a movie I enjoyed. And I ended up seeing, I think, two other of the Living Dead movies, Dawn of the Dead and Land of the Dead, which was the fourth one. I skipped the third. 
But yeah, it's interesting to go back to this. Uh, it, it, it holds up better than I'd remember. But Ben, you've never seen the movie. So coming to this, what was even your knowledge of George Romero or Night of the Living Dead? Uh, look, I, I knew of George Romero and I kind of knew, known of, I guess, his legacy uh, and kind of, you know, he's one of these ones, I think, that once, uh, you know, he dies and obviously someone like that passes away and you kind of, you look into their body of wor- work. Um, you know, sadly, at the time of recording this, John Hurt has just died, and obviously a lot of people are saying, you know, a Home Alone actor, John Hurt dies, and coming kind of soon, coming soon the Home Alone films. <laughs> um, we always just like to jump on the cash cow, because we're really not getting any listeners, so we thought, well, how else can we get listeners? It worked with Roger Moore, so fuck it, who's going to die this week? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I can't, you'd, you'd look at their back catalogue, and you're like, oh yeah, okay. And I mean, it's it's not... I guess, and obviously, heard of the Night of the Living Dead. I mean, I haven't been living under a rock my entire life. You know, I mean, obviously, this is quintessentially the film that started so much in the, in the horror genre, and particularly, you know, the zombie, or do we call it the ghoul genre? Ghoul, I guess, here, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's not, I guess, that I've, I'm taking a, a protest, like, I will never watch a George Romero film, or I'm such a chicken shit, I don't want to watch this because I'm scared. It's just, I, I'm just not, I've never been a horror movie fan, and, and I guess kind of it's, I've seen a few, and, and the horror movies that I've seen, I guess, in my life haven't exactly been that good. Um, so it's kind of been a case of, wow, really? Like, do I want to watch these films that every time I see them aren't that great? So, uh, and I think, and, and this is no disrespect to any of our horror fans that are that are listening to this episode. Horror is such a, su- a subjective genre, I feel. It's kind of like... You know, I guess if you're talking about music, it's like if you're a metal fan, you know, it's kind of, it's one of those sub, it's one of those genres that you either like or you don't like, I find. It's not like one that you'll kind of necessarily just be like a bit meh about. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but, and I, and again, I don't dislike horror. I've just never really been one to go out of my way to watch it. So when you suggested this, I was kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Um, and having never seen this film, I was like, oh, I really didn't know what to think. Read a little bit about it before I watched it. And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it because, you know, I mean, definitely parts about this film that I'm like, holy crap, really? And there are definitely parts I'm like, wow, okay, that's like for when this was made, that's like really good how they've done it. So um, yeah, I, I guess that's my background of it. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how this series develops over the, the coming weeks, having never seen the other ones either. So basically, just to set up what we're going to be doing here is, you know, we don't want to sit there and do all six Living Dead movies. I think that the first three are the most famous, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and then Day of the Dead. And then it was like 20 years after that, he decided to come back to the genre and basically ended his career just making, I don't even know if you'd consider them sequels, but more like spinoffs. And just here's a movie that is kind of about something else, but let me put it in the Living Dead universe. Um, We're going to do just the original three here. Uh, as I said, I've seen the first two, not the third. What, what I do think is interesting about this is that we are coming into this not as massive fans. And the people listening to this probably are going to be huge fans. Uh, I think a lot of people out there right now uh, are going to be revisiting these movies. You know, having seen it years ago for me and you having never seen it, we're going to give different perspectives than I think the the listeners would have. Maybe we're going to be a little bit more objective <laughs> with some things. You become a huge fan. You're like, oh, this is all great. It's not all great here. But what I'm more interesting than anything else is just talking about the history of this movie specifically because that's what i always found most interesting about this how low budget the movie was how revolutionary the movie was and i remember even seeing a documentary years ago i think it was on netflix that was just about the making of night of the living dead and you know just the story about how they pulled off this extremely low budget movie and how big it became 
Uh, it, it reminds me a lot. Right now, I'm I'm a big fan of the El Mariachi series that Robert Rodriguez has, like uh, El Mariachi, Desperado, and the Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And I, I kind of see similarities with this, that this big franchise started with this extremely low-budget movie that was more of an experiment from somebody who'd never made a movie before, you know, using the, the cheapest techniques you could think of to make a movie, and then somehow the movie actually gets released and it becomes a big hit. And it's interesting to go back to it and look and just see some things can be forgiven because you realize how cheap this movie was, and then you see how big this series eventually became. So I think that's part of what's interesting to me is just being able to look at this and realize like they did this on almost no budget at all. It's crazy what they were able to pull off, plus how different this movie was. We watch it now, and I could imagine a movie like this being released in 2017 and this being your typical horror film. We're talking about 1968. Like We're almost 40 years from this coming out. Nothing like this was being released in 1968. And the, the way that, uh, I guess, The Exorcist became this groundbreaking movie, this terrifying movie, just because nobody had seen real horror before, stuff that wasn't just cheap scares, which is what horror films were in like the 50s and 60s, but like really gruesome, terrifying stuff. This kind of did it first. And at the time it came out, it was almost more just shock from people, more than just, I love that movie. It was just like, I've never seen anything this shocking before. And it's weird that 40 years later, this would kind of still be considered just, you know, a typical horror film and not even that... uh uh that controversial but like we're talking 40 years that's a long time uh, much ahead of this uh, ahead of its time this was i think you need to add another 10 to that one colin it's actually nearly been 50 years uh, 50 years yeah there you go uh <laughs> we, we didn't record this in 2007 <laughs> wow just step back in time um yeah i mean look i i agree with everything and this is the thing that i guess kind of watching this it's and I will say as well, I'm just losing all our listeners right now. I'm losing our horror fans, and now I'm losing our old movie fans. I don't generally watch old movies unless it's got James Bond in it. So um, I, I that's a kind of another thing that kind of got into this. Oh, really? A movie from 1968? Come on! But I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's looking at kind of the effects and how this was. Um, you know, I mean, some of the some of the scenes in this film are still, I guess, slightly confronting, and you can, I can't imagine what. The audiences were thinking back, uh, you know, in 1968. I mean, we, we talked in sort of 007 available via iTunes about like how some of the, like the 60s Bond films, like something like Ursula Andress coming out of the beach in a bikini, you know, mm-hmm. and six years later, we've got people, uh, literally eating like flesh off bones and a small child, uh, eating her dead father. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched this yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I can't imagine that exactly is gonna, you know, sit that well. And and one of the things I actually read about this film was that I, they didn't really have the rating system that well in place kind of in the 60s. So like small children were allowed to go and watch this film uh, yeah. in 1968. Now, can you imagine like a five-year-old going to see like Saw? I mean, you know, or Final <laughs> Destination. Um, it just, it wouldn't happen. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to think that they could get away with this. But one one thing I would say about, you were saying about the, the budget and everything along those lines, the statistic here that really stood out for me uh, about how this is still one of the most successful independent movies because it was made for $114,000. It grossed $30 million. And if you adjust that for inflation, uh, so it was made for about $798,000 in 2017 money, which is about $210 million that it made 
at the mm-hmm. box office. I mean, that's more than the last two Amazing Spider-Mans, if I'm not mistaken. Not combined, but, like, still, you know, more than they made. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's crazy to think that, that this movie made that amount of money and still to this day is considered one of the most successful independent movies that was ever made. Yeah, and horror movies is something else to talk about because, like you said, it, I don't think it was just the rating system. The fact is people don't realize it now, but before this, horror films were mostly geared towards younger people. They were maybe not necessarily five-year-olds, but like a five-year-old could go in there and not be terrified. There were movies like The Wolfman or Frankenstein or even like a lot of cheap, low-budget ones. This was like Saturday afternoon viewing for kids. So you have a movie like this that comes out and it's like, let's really do something horrific it was going to shock everybody and there were going to be like terrified children just because this was their genre. It wasn't like horror films were made for adults at the time. Uh, it's interesting that you said that you're not really into these. It's the same for me. And I think that's why it's cool that we are covering this and even appreciating things about this movie because I've seen probably more horror films than you have. Oh, you would have. Uh, but <laughs> I can count the amount yeah. of horror films I've probably seen in my hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me though it's almost more entertainment like you know my brother and i and our friend we used to just get like we'd look for the worst type of horror films and one day we'll do that we'll do like maybe a month of the worst horror films imaginable but we just look for movies that had stupid titles like uncle sam wants you dead or the severed (laughs) arm or like there are some hilarious chud cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers um killer condom did you watch that one that was a good movie which one killer condom that was a good movie i think it was like japanese i think it was japanese maybe or korean or yeah it was it was it's an interesting film i I highly recommend it (laughs) (laughs) that's a real recommendation that is the type of movie he's into (laughs) but uh like, we would get, like, these bad ones just to laugh at it. And a part of the reason why I'm not really into this genre is because things don't really scare me. I, I, I think I can count not even on one hand, maybe on, like, two or three fingers, the amount of horror films that even kind of creep me out a little bit. I don't think I've ever flat out been scared of something. Yeah. And the ones that have even kind of creeped me out, it's been more I went to a midnight movie and then walked home at, like, 2.33 in the morning and it's like, oh, is there somebody in the shadows there? You know, it's not that the movie scared me. It's just it, it, kind of the mood. But, and like, that's crazy this movie is that, like, yeah. You know, but, but this movie, there are some moments in here where it's like, wow, I didn't expect to see that. Maybe yeah. not horrifying, but I don't expect to see that in a movie. And I, I mean, I agree with that. Just just really randomly quickly, Kill Economy is a German movie, by the way. I apologize to all our <laughs> German cinematic fans out Germans there. Germans and Japanese, they're pretty much one of the same, right? Yeah, well, you know, they're both warped in many ways. And um, I hope there was no references there to World War Two, there, Colin. Let's not open that can of worms. <laughs> um, Dunkirk, coming soon to the Oz Network. Um, but <laughs> that is actually legitimate. We are going to cover that soon. But yeah, I, I, I think... I, I, I've kind of always wanted to go into a film. This is a weird thing, because, like, there is something, and I guess this is why a lot of people love horror, uh, you know, there's that element of wanting to be shocked or wanting to be scared and kind of watching a film and having that. And I've always wanted to go into a film and kind of have that real sensation. And, I mean, there are definitely, as you said, moments in this film where it's... it's um, I want to say confronting. I don't necessarily want to say I was scared in this film, but, yeah, there are definitely some real confronting scenes. Like, whoa, okay, that, you know, as you said, wasn't expecting that. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I would gladly cover a lot of films out there that kind of, you know, maybe I've never seen and in the horror genre because um, one thing that I, like, I've seen... I saw Saw. I saw Saw. Um, and I enjoyed the first <laughs> Saw. Uh, the second one was... 
decent. And I've not seen all the other ones, but I one thing that I I do because like you hear about all these people like oh they're so gory they're so you know torture porn and all this sort of stuff. If you just go to YouTube, you can just look up like all the death scenes in Saw and all the death scenes in like Final Destination. Um, and I just like laughing at them because they're just so over the top like gory and gross. Maybe I'm just sadistic. Um, I'll tell you, uh, randomly, you're talking about things that kind of, like, scare you and things like that. You want to know the only scene in a movie that I legitimately got, like, a real, like, jump out of my seat, like, fuck, and was, like, legitimately scared? And this is a really weird one. I don't know if I'm just an idiot. Um, it was, was it, like, the full frontal nude scene of Jude Law and Talented yeah. Mr. Ripley? <laughs> no, I haven't seen that, but now I'm going to. Um... <laughs> 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 it was uh, it was in Signs. You know the bit where um, Joaquin oh, Phoenix's I know what character. I'm, I'm gonna. Are you talking about where the thing on the the video camera on TV just jumps out of the kid's birthday party? Yeah. So when he's in the closet watching it, and the, the news reporter's yeah. like, um, you know, the following scenes may disturb you, and you're like, you're watching, you're watching, what, what, what? And that alien comes out of nowhere. I shit myself. Yeah. I was in the cinema by oh, myself. I'm like, fuck! What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the one scene in movie history that has, like, literally nearly made poo come out of my butt. Um, I wonder if there's any scenes in this that even came close to make you tinkle or something. <laughs> <laughs> Not like Jude Law nudity in the talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> let's stop before we go really dark here. Um, let's jump into the movie here. So, right away... We get the title Night of the Living Dead, um, which uh, I guess it's it's not night at the time it's on screen, but the movie does take place at night. It's an appropriate title. Uh, we're introduced to two characters, which I don't know, maybe you assume that these are going to be the lead characters just because they're introduced so soon. But uh, unfortunately, no, but we get Johnny and Johnny. Barbara, uh, <laughs> who you assume are a husband and wife until they start yes. referencing their I didn't pick up on that. I honestly didn't realize yeah. they were brother and sister until later on in the movie when she's like, my brother's dead. I'm like, wait, what? That wasn't your boyfriend? <laughs> I, and again, I've seen this before. I think this is my third time seeing it, but I swear it was probably near the end of the graveyard scene where uh, he kind of mentioned something. I can't remember he was talking about their mom. And I'm like, wait, are they supposed to be brothers? This is, this is like, I don't know, maybe they have way too much chemistry together. We know how great they They're are Tasmanian. as actors. But... <laughs> <laughs> is this what they do in Snug? <laughs> um, shout out to all of our hosts who never appear on the show. We're currently uh, in Macedonia anyways, yeah. at the moment, the bastard. <laughs> Uh, kind of incestuous, I guess, but uh, they're going on a very long drive to, I guess, visit their shared mother. <laughs> and I love Johnny. Johnny is honestly one of my favorite characters in the entire movie. But yes. he's so short. <laughs> I just love that he's basically he's on the longest drive ever to visit the grave of his his dead mother, and he's there for about thirty seconds, and he's like, "Can we go yet?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You have to pray now. You already did that earlier. <laughs> and then he's, the, the other part is he's complaining about the flowers. Like, whatever happened to those nice flowers about last year? Where did they go? I don't know, Johnny. They kind of decompose after a year. <laughs> what year old flowers went? But yeah, Johnny and uh, Barbara, they're at the grave. He wants to leave after 30 seconds. Uh, he starts teasing her. I guess something they did as a kid, which would come up later, is like, they're coming to get you, Barbara, which I love that Johnny does it with a British accent, too, uh, <laughs> just randomly out of nowhere. And she's like, stop it, Johnny. It's not funny. It's not funny. 
And then all of a sudden, a guy actually does come to get her out of nowhere, which if you're watching this and you have no idea you're watching a Living Dead movie, uh, this guy does not look like a zombie. No. So you're probably <laughs> assuming the custodian is just molesting her right now <laughs> randomly. What if this was just the custodian just jumped out of nowhere? Um, but yeah, he basically tackles Johnny to the ground. Johnny, I love the bad effects. You know, we're going to knock, not knock it, but it's endearing. You know, a low-budget movie could pull this off. But Johnny's head hits the grass, and you hear the loudest thud you've ever heard. Like, boom! <laughs> his head hitting grass, and he's dead just on the spot because his head hit a pile of dirt. Um, and that's it for Johnny. We're sorry, Johnny. We wish you were with us longer. Uh, so Barbara's on yeah. the run. Loses her shoe. <laughs> she has to think to herself, I lost my shoe. What to do? What to do? <laughs> she contemplates, should I grab my shoe? Should I run from the zombie that's trying to eat my flesh? She eventually runs into a farmhouse, uh, hides out in there. We see the zombie that's chasing her or the custodian trying to molest her who gets caught up in a clothesline. <laughs> Which is just the most hilarious visual. We're starting off, and I'm not nogging because this was revolution. This started the zombie genre probably started the entire horror genre as like real horror. But the first visual we have is a guy grabbing a woman by the shoulders, tackling a man to the grass and then getting caught in a clothesline outside the farmhouse. Um, I guess it's effectively setting up the story. There was a brief moment where there was a problem with the radio. We kind of know that stuff's going on here. It's, it, it, I think it becomes interesting later when you get in the house, not the strongest start to a movie here, but interesting nonetheless. One thing I'll say that um, kind of irks me a lot about old movies is that I just it feels like people can't act. Like it's just, I mean, I, I'm sure this is just the style I mean, of acting, right? It, it was probably also like they had a lot of, like I said, El Mariachi and Robert Rodriguez made that. He was just using crew members, and I'm assuming they did the same thing here. You can't pay for actors, but like their lead actors maybe should be a bit better. But I mean, it's yeah, like I mean, that's kind of, and it's even in a lot of the '60s James Bond films. It's just, I think it's just the style of acting that you had pop, perhaps in the '60s. You know, we're used to like these amazingly big grand performances and stuff like that. But you know, when you were like Johnny, let's go here. Okay, then Barbara. Um, like it's just it's so. <laughs> So stale, but again, I don't want to try to be like the asshole who rips shit into like sixties movies. But yeah, I, I cut it on... out, Johnny. It's not funny, Johnny. Johnny, you're ignorant. Stop it, <laughs> Johnny. Give me the keys, Johnny. Where are the keys? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I fucking love Johnny. <laughs> like, yes, the yes. fact the fact that you later on find out that they are brother and sister, and that he's basically bitching and moaning they have to visit their dead father's grave. Like, I mean, I honestly thought that they were boyfriend and girlfriend and that he was yeah. just being a bit of a dick because, like, she was visiting her father's grave. So I'm thinking, like, oh, God, you're being a bit of a dick to your, like, your girlfriend's dead ha- father. But, it, like, it's even worse knowing that it's his father as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, this was is, it um, father or mother? I thought it was mother. I thought it was... Oh, it is. Yeah. Don't See, they maybe talk- it was the father. Yeah, because don't they talk about, like, they're going to go back and tell mother? Because they kept saying mother, mm. the way they say it. Like, mother won't be happy. Mother, like... <laughs> I thought they were, like, kind of creepily talking to the grave. Oh, Hello, okay. mother. Well, the, the funny Johnny scene... Johnny bad mother. <laughs> the 60s way. Mother's coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> Raw brains, mother, father, I don't know. But, I like, when they get out of the car and she's all like, oh, whereabouts is it? Like, I mean, they come here every year, don't they? So, like, I mean... Yeah. 
<laughs> and, I and, love- and apparently the flowers usually last longer than a yeah, year. Yeah, and, and this whole thing could have been avoided if Johnny didn't sleep in an extra hour. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> They would have been on the road. But I do love that lie where Johnny, what does he say? Like, oh, we're here for 10 minutes and then it's a six-hour round trip. Um, And I I realise this is in Western Pennsylvania. I was just in Western Pennsylvania and I didn't die. So (laughs) You could have seen Johnny and Barbara's dad when you were there. Why didn't I? Damn it. Bucket list for next road trip. Exactly. (laughs) Johnny and Barbara. I love I love it when Johnny's just continuing to be a douche. Like, stop praying, Barbara. Your church is for praying. (laughs) It's like dead father, you dick. He's more concerned about how much money he has to spend on these flowers that aren't gonna last three hundred and sixty six days a year. But uh, the fight scene, like, when he hits his head, like, the thud, like, I swear they had to, because, like, when he actually hit, you don't, you think he's just knocked himself out. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, and, like, this whole time, like, I keep writing in my notes this whole time before we eventually get the payoff about what's happened to Johnny. I'm like, where's Johnny? She just gets up and leaves. And it's like, he's just hit his head. He's fine. Yeah, exactly. She's running (laughs) away. Let's mention that because she thinks Johnny's alive still. She keeps talking about, we need to find Johnny. We need to find Johnny. And everyone's like, Johnny's dead, Barbara. Meanwhile, they've never met Johnny. They don't know. (laughs) But maybe Johnny is. Johnny could be out there alive. He could be the hero that eventually comes up in the blank of the dead part seven. Soon coming. George (laughs) Romero's son. Well, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because um, what's the old saying about unless you see a body, they're not dead. And I mean, I guess kind of we sort of see a body. And given this is a movie about bodies coming back to life, I mean, technically, even if you see a body, they're not necessarily dead. Um, but, yeah, I just I just was laughing this whole time when she's running away. And I probably shouldn't be because this is probably, sh- you know, people are shitting their pants in 1968. But, again, I'm thinking, like, what are you doing? Again, he's just bumped his head. Help your boyfriend, I thought at the time. But clearly not. <laughs> um, and, like, th- this... Pick up your brother and give him a kiss. <laughs> yeah. And like again, I don't, I don't want to be completely like assholey to because again, we know this film was obviously very much, you know, the, as you were saying, the practical effects that they use for such a low budget film. But like, this is the thing that I've always wondered about zombies. Uh, sorry, ghouls. Um, and like everyone's obsession with them. It's like I, I don't get why everyone's all like, oh, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? Like I don't really want to think about that, guys. Like I mean, you know, that's like a really what, what would you do if you had AIDS? Like I mean, to me, it's the same thing. Like I mean, it's a very negative thing to think about what you would do in. But anyway, but like this zombie that's coming up, sorry, ghoul that's coming after Barbara, like, it's so fucking slow. Like, why does she have to get in the car? Like, just walk fast. You'll beat it. <laughs> just power walk, Barbara. Like, and at this point, like, I get she's got to get to the house and, you know, she's scared. I mean, you've got to be scared of some weird old guy coming after you. Like, but, like, I mean, at this point, she doesn't know anything about this whole epidemic and stuff like that, so... I don't know why she doesn't just keep going down the road and she doesn't know anyone else is out there, but I'm just reading too much into it. But uh, uh, I love the fact that this um, this guy is terrified of clotheslines. Like, when he... Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no! Rips it out. And then, like, the thing that I thought was funny is that she's, like, gone into this house, right? Now, she doesn't know at the time that anybody's there. She grabs a knife... And she's obviously, you know, defending herself. But, like, what if, like, the person who lives there was alive? Spoiler alert, they're not. 
um, and like came downstairs and there's a woman in a house with a knife. <laughs> like, oh, don't worry about me. I'm just, you know, defending myself from a zombie. <laughs> this is America. People have guns, people. Like, come on. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, whether she should know about this uh, in a little bit. That's still to come. There's maybe some plot holes I picked up on this. But there's another funny part I'll get to in a second about uh, the owner of the house. Uh, let's just start first when she's in the house. I love that she's walking around with this knife, and it's all creepy, you know, going around the corners. It's like, I wonder who lives here. Could it be a serial killer? Oh, it might be worse. It could be a zombie. No, it's worse than that. It's a name Flash to a bunch of stuff. It's a taxidermist. Oh, right. Sorry. I, I, did. <laughs> I thought you were about to say that she was scared of Ben. And I didn't mean to be racist when oh. I said that. I just love her reaction when she sees him. And he's like very 60s. Like, holy crap, it's it's a Negro. And that's how he's described. And again, I'm not trying to be yeah. racist in saying that. It's literally, if you read the description of character Ben, it's it's described as a comparatively calm and resourceful Negro. So, again, just backtracking, that sounded horrible the way I put that, but, yes, yeah, sorry, yes, the taxidermy <laughs> room. <laughs> yeah. But it's just the horror that comes when she sees the, oh! This is basically what drives her over the edge to go into a catatonic state. It's seeing a moose's head mounted to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not the zombie trying to molest her, yeah. or her dead brother lying on her dead father's grave. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious to me. Um... And then to make it better, when she tries to run away from this, she goes up the stairs and she finds the body of, I guess, the house owner already decaying on the steps. Now, this has been going on, what, a couple of hours, this zombie apocalypse? So how quickly does this body decay or are we to believe that this person has been dead in the house for who knows how long and is not even connected to the plot? Yeah. Um, I don't understand that because uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead here the way I say this, but... You know, like when they're watching the TV and they're listening to the radio and they keep like really over reiterating that, you know, dead bodies will come to life. To me, the big plot twist was going to be like, hang on a minute. Remember, there was a dead body upstairs. You're randomly going to get a zombie yeah. coming after yeah. you. Um, I thought about that. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it just to me, that was really random. And I, I, I kind of think maybe that this woman has been dead for longer than this zombie apocalypse. Because <laughs> like, again, her skull's showing. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to. I'm going to say this. We haven't been introduced to them yet, but Cooper and his family were evicted and they needed a place to stay. So they killed some poor old lady and then shacked up in her basement. Yes, it's Helen, the bitch. Uh. (laughs) Um, I guess there's no need to be afraid about the dead moose on the wall or the decaying corpse on the stairs because our hero is here and he's carrying a tire iron. This is Ben. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give him some credit because we'll talk about Barbara later on. Uh, I have some defenses of Barbara where I think most people are too critical. But Ben is, at the time, let's talk about it, like uh, probably, you know, I know we had like, you know, in the heat of the night around this time or whatever, and Sidney Poitier started to come out as like a big movie star. But like Ben is an action hero in this movie. And to have an action horror film with a black male lead alone is a big deal then to have like the real hero of the story like this is again way ahead of the time i remember growing up in the 90s and people would complain about horror films or thrillers even in the late 90s that it was still the stereotype why does the black guy always die first and here we have 1968 40 years ago (laughs) (laughs) and we 
have a black male lead who is the hero of the movie, and he's a competent hero. Like, uh, what was the way you described him? Calm and whatever. Yeah, uh, so what is described on paper, he is a comparatively calm and resourceful Negro. Mm-hmm. Well, let's drop the last part. Let's just say he's yeah. calm and he's resourceful, and he's a good action hero. Like, I like that he put a tire iron through the front of somebody's head, and I like that he burned a dead body. Um, I'm going to say, if anybody who's listening to our other shows is going to be very out of context, but burning bodies is funny, but <laughs> it's not nearly as funny when they're dead. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's a cool <laughs> trick he had to put them away. But yeah, I love Ben as a character. We'll kind of stop there before we get into uh, all the survival stuff in the house. But, uh, you know, Barbara around there and then Ben, our hero. Maybe give some thoughts on Ben as a character before we jump into everything else. Yeah, well, I think definitely it was yeah very much ahead of time there's no denying that and kind of in in reading a lot of what i was about this film sort of before and afterwards and yeah dwayne jones who plays ben um apparently like was he'd obviously i mean that period of history obviously was still very much um you know discriminatory discriminate discriminated against you know, <laughs> um you know african-american and black people obviously in america at that time so he kind of uh from what i was reading in interviews and stuff like that was very you know, affected by a lot of what was happening. Um, and sort of he made friends with a lot of the cast. And I think they were saying uh, that Carl Hardman, who played uh, Cooper, was, you know, they were very good friends with each other. Um, uh, and anyway, just it was kind of, it was interesting to think that, like, we can watch this film now, 40 years later, um, <laughs> and, and you know, not blink an eyelid. Like, it's it doesn't matter what colour his skin is. Yeah. Uh, it, he's just a hero good on him but like yeah kind of going to what we were mentioning before about this film being what it was at the time it was made like yeah that was a a big deal to have sort of a a black lead and you know i know my my joke before probably wasn't exactly politically correct but like it's like the the scene actually when she meets him and like I, i i kind of i don't know if that was just me or maybe i'm just reading into the time as well but i i honestly thought a lot of her reaction at seeing him was like holy crap like you know, he's a, you know, a black man. And again, not trying to be racist, but I'm just putting that into context of the time. Because I, I feel yeah. that, like, a lot of the Harry-Ben sort of uh, conflict, I feel, does relate a lot to that as well. I don't know if, again, maybe I'm just reading too much into that. But um, you don't think We'll talk so? about that. Uh, well, okay. I mean, we'll get into that closer to the end, because uh, I think there have been a lot of people who maybe read a little too much into this movie, and... Um. Yeah. Yeah. We'll cover that. But I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily think that's the the crux of the problem. I'm not trying to say that it's purely mm-hmm. a racist issue. And like, maybe the end of the film, I could maybe see how people might think that's it. like. And I, de- I like. I wrote that down as kind of like a you know, haha, Black Lives Matter joke. But that's probably not a funny joke. <laughs> but like, it's like I don't feel the ending of the film is related to that. But I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me yeah. in terms of how I. I just think that what this film does well. And again, I'm not trying to turn this into a racing or anything like that. I think what this film does really, really well is for a movie made in 1968 is not make race an issue. Like, because again, reading into it, and maybe that's what I'm doing, and maybe that's what a lot of people have done over the years in studying this film, they read into it that a lot of underlying issues are to do with race. I just think from my perspective, knowing when this film was made, that was the only time I thought between like Harry and Ben that there might be and the initial reaction that Barbara has with Ben before none of it to me became an issue at all. But I just think that 
as somebody who's thinking about this film in the time period, that's what I was mm-hmm. feeling. If this was movie was made today, I would not in any way think that was an issue. But yeah, I just wanted to clear that up. But Ben, <laughs> rambling on here, uh, Ben, I like Ben. Uh, not just because he's got a great name, but like I, I like the <laughs> I like the character of him. And uh, yeah, he's 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 a very strong willed, you know, hero in this film and uh, resourceful and. Um, you know, at the end of the day, perhaps maybe he should have gone in the cellar, but um, obviously <laughs> we'll get to that bit at the end. But yeah, I, I like him. That's that's my long winded point. Hashtag Ben should never talk about race issues on podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we've learned from that mistake, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a whole lot. You're listening. Don't hate me again. Uh, yeah, I like that you brought up that they don't make race an issue in this movie because I think that's what appeals to me more than anything. And granted, at the time, you weren't going to... Maybe George Romero had some political statement. You know, he's denied that. And there are other things about the movie where people have maybe read a little too much into it where he's like, well, there's some basis for that. With Ben, he just simply has always said, no, he was just the actor that was best for this. And he probably wrote the script just, you know, not even thinking anything of it and just decided, well, I'm not going to change the script. Now, uh, Grant, you're not going to, at the time, 1968, it's going to be a bigger deal if you try to make a big deal out of it and have everybody say, well, I can't take you know, orders from him. He's black. But you know, nowadays, that's probably how this movie would be portrayed if you're doing a period film taking place in 1968. But at the time, it was probably easier for the audience to just accept this. Plus, this is why I, I, I don't know, maybe i just looking at it from a different point of view, but I don't really see her reaction to him as anything other than She's just had one guy who looked completely normal try to eat her. Maybe this guy's going to do it too. But I think what's most interesting about Ben is that he is the most resourceful in this. And you do have the fights that he has with Cooper later on. But like you said, they never make an issue out of it. He just is the guy there. I kind of see him like, I don't know if you're a fan of Jaws, but Quint oh, from yeah. Jaws, the, the boat captain. You know, To me, Ben is Quint in this movie. He's the guy who knows exactly what he's doing. Maybe he's going to make one or two mistakes, but he's your expert. He's the hero who uh, you know is going to carry this entire movie. And for the audience, he's the one you're going to listen to. And I just want to give credit because I don't think that the actor's really gone on to do that much since then. But Dwayne Jones did a great job in a movie full of a bunch of actors who are clearly showing that this is a $114,000 budget. Dwayne Jones really brings it here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And he, uh, I did, let's see, he sadly died in 1988. I will say um, that Johnny's still alive, Russell Striner. Um, he's still Johnny! keeping along. Yeah, he's, he's, he's 77, but uh, still doing well. So uh, he'll be he... dead by the time we uh, finish this episode. But hey, at the time <laughs> of recording, he's still alive. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, I, I completely agree. And um you know, as I was kind of saying, I just maybe there was a few moments here where I kind of thought that. But I mean, again, it's it's. I feel it is one of these films that, no doubt, over the years, um, you know, the studies and the, the papers and all that sort of stuff that's been done on it. There's always going to be that people who can see underlying tensions and that sort of stuff, and it's it's understandable for the time of the film that this, the time that this film was made. But yeah, I think the overarching point is that in no grand way is race ever made an issue in this film, which, yeah. again, you've really got to point out, you know, props to George Romero, props to everyone involved in this film. For a movie in 1968, to have a black lead and not have race be an issue is, like, that is that is very, very much well done. Um, ben continues to be the great hero by, you know, telling her, oh, we need to board it up, so he's... Uh uh, basically formulating the plan of how they're going to survive here. And I love that he says, bring back some wood so we can board this up. She wanders around the house and brings back a couple of sticks to him. He rips a door clean off of its hinges with his bare hands. <laughs> uh, Ben's fantastic. 
And uh, after this, it's basically just a bunch of survival stuff. Okay, let's find some food. Uh, they start talking a little bit about their history. He's basically explaining from his point of view. And this is one of the things that maybe here we're 20, 25 minutes in the movie, and I'm watching it at like 4.30 in the morning uh, on a Saturday <laughs> night and wanting to go to bed, but kept me interested because I'm like, I'm kind of watching an apocalyptic movie from the moment it happened, it reminded me a lot of Signs. You mentioned Signs, and there's a good comparison because Signs is a movie about this alien invasion, but it's told only from the point of view of a few people who really are only getting bits and pieces of the news. They're cut off from the rest of the world. And I love that this has probably been going on all day. You know, from what the story Ben tells, maybe this started happening sometime in the afternoon. You know, we're now here, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, possibly. You know, Barbara didn't realize it because there was on, on the road for three or four hours in the middle of this. And it's just a cool idea that we have this major event happening and it's just the people finding out as they go along. And he's just sort of like, well, this truck was driving weird and there are all these people hanging off of it. And then I went to the diner. You know, I, I, I like just the storytelling here of not going too deep into uh, the government's role in this. We just get bits and pieces on TV. And then she tells her story, yeah. <laughs> which I don't Daddy! <laughs> I don't know if she's telling, like, when this started, I don't know if she was telling the story. Maybe this is what they did when they were kids. She's telling a story when they were kids, or if she's telling what happened at the graveyard. But I swear, this story never ends. Yeah. Uh, and I love that Ben, as she's telling the story, is basically, like, you need to calm down. She's not even freaking out. He's like, you need to calm down. I'm kind of watching this this afternoon thinking, he's not, you know, telling her, oh, don't get worked up. He's basically, this is a polite way of saying, you're really long-winded, lady. Can we just get on with it? That's what our listeners, that's what our listeners often say while listening to us. Like, oh, God, yeah. Ben, wrap it up. Ben's talking about race issues again. Here we go. Calm down, Ben. Ben on his high horse, uh, trying to be all politically correct when you were just racist five minutes ago. Good job, Ben. But, but seriously, I love that Barbara's story just keeps going. I swear... They have a deleted scene somewhere in part six, Survival of the Dead, where Barbara is still going. And then Johnny's like, they're coming from you, Barbara. They're coming from you, Barbara. And it's little old lady Barbara telling the six films <laughs> later. I want that deleted scene. Still so talking oh, about, can I, I have some candy, Barbara? What did she say at one point? <laughs> <laughs> and then the man started ripping at my clothes. And again, I'm wondering, like, I had to watch it twice, and I'm still not sure. Is she telling the story of what happened in the graveyard, or is this some terrible thing that happened when she was a child and this is why he torments her that as a child some guy said like it's really kind of creepy how vague she is in this i think doesn't Uh, it not come down to i mean clearly she's in shock like i mean i think that's kind of the point from seeing the horrific taxidermy room um i mean she just she (laughs) really kind of does go into a catatonic state when she gets into that house and I, i mean i just i read that was just part of that that she's you know recalling what happened at the grave but she's probably you know mixing it in with memories and kind of just because she's so a bit i guess delusional you know that's kind of what i read from it that you know she's telling some things that happened but then she's just her mind's wandering and at that point you know she's just she's gone she's she's in another world at that point i like that idea like if if that's what's interpreted that's that's kind of the way i read it but at the same time i'm trying to pick it out i'm like what happened when she was a kid or is she just, you know, losing it, you know, because her brothers bumped his head on the, the, the grass pile or whatever. Uh, and she's worried for his life out there, but it, it's still cool. I like that them telling these stories, like I said earlier, and 
Um, I guess he he basically eventually gets her to shut up by hitting her with a right hook. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're, we're talking about dating this film, no race issues. Not necessarily the sexism issues uh, can't escape this film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the easiest way to shut a woman up, punch her. 60 style, just punch her in the face. That's how you did it, men. Uh, <laughs> I'm, aren't you glad that 40 years later we've changed? Yeah, 40 whole years later. Uh, I'll just group this next section into because we, we get a little bit more of the, the story here. So she eventually does come around later on and the news report is on TV. So this is when we start to find out what's going on as Ben's listening on TV uh, uh, or not on TV. This is just the radio at this point. And you can see the shadow of a boom mic bouncing up and down as he's listening to the radio here, which I had to do a double take on. Uh, I love this radio report. That it, it's so dramatic. It's like the unidentified assassins, <laughs> this mass homicide. Like the like, what we would call nowadays. If it's on the internet, this would be clickbait. This is like yeah, you know radio possibly. listener bait at the time. <laughs> and yeah, and I love that it goes on. It's like the, there is a description of the suspects that are coming out. They are described as ordinary looking people. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, radio. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Mass homicide, unidentified assassins, ordinary looking people. <laughs> and this is how many, I mean, like, what? War of the Worlds was on about, what, 20, 30 years when everybody believed it was an alien attack. I mean, come on now. Like, yeah. people people at this time in history kind of believe a lot of what's said on the radio. So I can't imagine there are people on the yeah. eastern seaboard of the US probably just like killing ordinary looking people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm going to mention that on the end. We will return to this ordinary looking people. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, that's basically the radio report, and then, you know, he's doing a little bit of house-proofing here. He burns a chair, throws it out on the porch, because there's no way a burning chair on the porch isn't going to spread to the house. (laughs) I was thinking that, too. (laughs) (laughs) We get the first mention of NASA here, which, you know, I had forgotten about what caused this. You know, because they do explain in this. It's not just one of these weird movies where people turn into zombies and that's it. They explain where this comes from. But it felt really odd at the time. As NASA scientists are getting to the bottom, and I'm like, "What is NASA doing there?" You don't really get it. <laughs> it's the '60s. Uh, NASA's involved in everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so he eventually says, "I'm going to go upstairs. Uh, you know, you'll be fine down here. I'll hear it if anybody's down here." And then we just get sort of get trailing off in the background about 60 different ways of mentioning that these ordinary-looking people are <laughs> eating flesh. It's like. They're said to be devouring people, and they're devouring their victims, and eating people, and eating flesh. I just want like a loop of this news report. If somebody has the isolated audio, just over and over again, like we could we could have fun creating clips of this. So we'll stop it there before we get into the others in the house. Just just quickly, Judith O'D, who who plays Barbara, she's also still alive. She's uh, still kicking about. So, um, you know, good to see that a couple of these people are still alive. Uh, we haven't killed them yet. Um, it's been 40 whole years. Yeah, I know. They right? should be dead by <laughs> they should. They should be. Um, I just want to go back just quickly with Ben. I, I love, like, when he's trying to be calm. And he's, you know, like, look, goddammit, we need to do this. And then all of a sudden he's just, like, just goes back to being calm. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at a scene when, like, a man punches a woman. But, like, this isn't, like, you know, slap. This is an actual punch. (laughs) He slaps him. Yeah. And then he retaliates like an uppercut. (laughs) Yeah. This is, like, legitimately a full-on hook. And it's like, wow, that's kind of not dated well. Um, but like okay just fair enough but uh, like going back to what you're saying sort of like the comparisons with science I, I do like movies kind of these 
you know, I'm, I'm a fan of like end of the world disaster movies, but I also kind of like it when you have these films and they're sort of told from this perspective where you're the characters and you're learning about it at the same time. Like I think it was that movie Skyline that uh, didn't really do too well. Oh, yeah. but it, um, I actually really enjoyed that film and I liked how it was kind of told from the perspective of, of the people witnessing it all. And, you know, obviously Cloverfield was a bit like that. Um, even that was that comedy, the and- in the end, is it? Um, oh, uh, uh, yeah, the the... This is the end, or whatever. This yeah, I know end. which one you're talking about. The Seth Rogen one, right? Yeah, yeah, with yeah, exactly. That, like kind of how that's told. I, I like it kind of with that. And one thing that I really enjoyed with this, and again, maybe this is from my great journalistic background, but um, like the the news reports, even the over the top, ordinary looking people eating flesh, um, <laughs> they like they seemed very realistic. Like particularly the TV bulletins, like from what yeah. I've seen of like sixties, you know news broadcasting like it it seemed very like it didn't feel like an actor just like you know reading it Mm -hmm. so it was kind of that's what i really enjoyed about how you really felt like you were watching the news and how this would be um but also having said that like when they're going on about oh they're eating flesh they're you know they're getting really gruesome about this like (laughs) they're really getting into that much detail like the kiddies are listening to this like i remember writing a story when i worked with a newspaper and uh you know i did this fantastic piece about this um, ex-soldier who had been in uh, Africa and he kind of, without going into too much detail, he basically, as part of his military role, he actually had to help bury bodies and kind of get rid of them because, like, there was just in this area where just so many people were dying and they were just building all these bodies up. So he had to come up with unique ways to, you know, get rid of dead bodies. And in my article, my initial article, I kind of wrote you know, uh, some of the quotes that he said where he went into detail about, like, the horrific injuries these people were having and how we had to, like, burn them. And my editor said, that's too gory. You can't tell that in a newspaper article. So I'm thinking, like, this is in 2000 and, what I mean, 16, 15, and, like, this is in the 60s, and a lot of things were very conservative back then. So it's kind of like, wow, okay then. But, yeah, I, I, I kind of enjoy how this is all happening in terms of just, yeah, we're learning all these things and, like, his story about the... Uh, you know, the truck and everything that you were saying. Um, and, like, I, I think you sort of touched on about people have a problem with Barbara. I I kind of had no problem with her. I, I liked the way she was playing this, like, you know, she'd seen what she'd seen. You know, Johnny hit his head um, and she'd lost a shoe. <laughs> like, I mean, that's very horrific. But I just, I just liked the way that she kind of played this woman who was just completely in shock. And you kind of would believe that, like, if... If you were facing a situation like this, if right now zombies and shit were taking over and, like, Jamie started eating Casper, like, you've got to be in shock. <laughs> um, you know, and you can't... I'm not necessarily saying you've got to be Barbara sitting on the couch going, Where's Casper? Where's Casper? What happened to Casper? But, like, you know, I still think you would have people out there who would legitimately just be, you know, something gone off in their head and they're just, they've lost it, so... Yeah, I, I don't really have anything much more to add on that. I've got no race issues to bring up this time around. I've touched on the sexism <laughs> issues. Uh, well, but yeah. let's touch on the sexism issues here because there sure. are people, you know, who complain that Barbara's character, you know, is too stereotyped at the time. Just the, the terrified woman who needed the man to save it. Like, I honestly, but this is just people, you know, going back retroactively trying to make a bigger issue out of something. Oh, well, this is a terrible stereotype. No, this is a character that is necessary in the movie. And uh, if people haven't listened to it, you know, go back and listen to the review that uh, Jamie and I did for Alien Covenant and hear my criticism of the female lead in that movie. Not because she was a female lead, but just the majority of the leads in that movie where you have a horror film and all of your leads are so strong 
that they show no fear of the the monsters in the movie, it strips all the horror out of the movie. And Barbara's character needs to be that what works so well with her in this movie is that she is so weak and she is so frail and she is so terrified and catatonic and uh, completely just just uh, destroyed. That's what makes you terrified as the audience because everybody else has it on different levels together. And this isn't a thing like, oh, well, the, the woman was weak at the time because there are other women in this movie who are a stronger uh, character as far as like how they handle this crisis than Barbara is. Take Cooper's wife, for example. She's braver than Cooper is in this movie and he's the other male, you know, strong male action lead in this. Um, it, people just looking for reasons to complain. Barbara's character, what works so well is how terrified she is in this movie. And if you did it any differently, you take a lot of the horror out. And I think that shows when you watch movies nowadays where all of the characters have to be so strong. That's why the movies aren't effective anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. And like, I mean, look, this is coming from someone who hasn't really watched many horror films, but um, yeah, I, in no way did I ever kind of get that thing from, from Barbara. And, and look, you know, maybe there's some underlying level there again, because similar to what I guess I was maybe saying with with Ben, it's kind of like, you know, you know when this movie's made, it's just how it was at the time. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, like, you know, I, I think Barbara just is a character that, yeah, needs to kind of be that way. And, again, just I think she plays that sort of, you know, character so well. She's not just like the, the screaming woman, ah, ah, we're going to get out, we're going to get out, we're going to get out. Like, she's, she's legitimately really affected by this. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's it's not just, you know, stereotypical, you know, woman at the end. And, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said. And, um, I mean, I can see, obviously, why people would read into things like that and study it. I mean, that's what film studies is about. I, I'm sure you've done film studies. You know, that was part of my degree when I, you know, when I graduated. So kind of I spent a good, you know, few years having to write stuff like that about films and try and pick at issues that really weren't there. But, yeah, it's, um you know... I, I think that what you said summed it up well. Uh, now we get introduced to our other characters. We're probably at least halfway into the movie at this point, and it's being told from two characters, one of which hasn't really spoken in half an hour. And we find out there's a whole group of, I don't even know if they're a family or the whole group of people in the basement. <laughs> you didn't know we're there. Uh, you know, which we have, uh, um, what's his name? Harry Cooper, uh, his wife. Um, Helen, the, their daughter, yeah, Helen, their daughter, who we just think is sick at this time, and then I don't know who this other two are. Are they just a couple, or are they supposed to be related to them? I don't know if it was ever explained. I think they're just two random survivors, based on kind of mm-hmm. what uh, we hear their stories. I don't think they're connected or related. I mean, if they are related, then fuck, they really don't give a shit about them when they die. Spoiler alert! But um, yeah, I they're I think- also brother and sister. By yeah, the way. <laughs> we just didn't realize. Everyone in Western Pennsylvania are very close in their families. Uh, <laughs> very Tasmanian. Um, but yeah, I just think they're just two I- other randoms that have just happened to be in the cellar. Yeah, I, I love when they're introduced, though, like, Ben is a really good character, but there are some funny moments here where Ben's almost a bit panicky, too, which, again, fits the movie of all the characters have that panicky moment. You know, when uh, uh, Cooper's up there, and he's explaining, you know, uh, oh, I didn't know if you guys were one of them or what was going on, and Ben's basically talking about it, like, you didn't hear the woman streaming up here? It's like, well, it could have been one of them. Those things don't make noise. <laughs> Those things have existed for about six hours. <laughs> I don't think anybody has enough experience with them to know exactly what they do, especially when we get to the end of the movie and they're all groaning suddenly. So, yeah, Ben's panicky moment that was kind of funny to me. <laughs> you should know a screaming girl when you hear it. And then he also says, we can't really hear anything down there, which, again, later on, when they're basically whispering through the door, <laughs> they can hear each other. <laughs> 
little bit of a contradiction. Um, but yeah, the uh, the interesting debate they have here, and this is the other thing that kind of kept me watching at 4.35 o'clock now in the morning on a Saturday night, uh, is that this is kind of, you know, your cheap horror film, and nowadays you're so accustomed to every movie being like this, but they do have some interesting debates in here, things that, you know, uh, probably 20 years later <laughs> would be brought up when Scream <laughs> came out. Uh, and Scream started to almost parody horror films by mentioning things like, well, why does the person always run up the stairs? It doesn't make any sense. And this wasn't parodying anything at the time. It wasn't you know, mentioning these things uh, as like a tribute to what horror films were or bringing up things that were considered the genre because this created the genre. Yeah. But they have this debate about, you know, we should be in the cellar. Because there we only have one door to protect. Here we have like six doors to protect. And then Ben's like, yeah, but in the cellar, you have no way out if they eventually get in. And it's kind of just interesting. You you sit there and as I was watching it, I'm thinking to myself, where would be the best place? Yeah. Would you want to be upstairs where you could run for your life, but they could come at you anywhere and you, you just drift off and you don't know? Or would you want to be in the cellar? And it's, it's kind of an interesting debate. So there are some smart things in this movie that I don't think it gets a lot of credit for. Um there's a bunch of zombies or ghouls still trying to come in. Uh, Are they, though? They're just lady. chilling outside. This is what I don't get about well, half this movie. They're so worried about these people that are just literally sitting out the front, just, like, chilling, waiting for someone to leave. <laughs> they're, roast, they're roasting marshmallows on the burning chair. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a, an ottoman in the back where they're warming themselves. Um <laughs> I like that this this is where it falls into ordinary looking people that we get now. There are old lady zombies or ghouls out there. And, and naked there are woman. Fully, fully nude women. This is 1968, a year away from Woodstock. This probably was an ordinary looking woman in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> she, she actually wasn't a zombie. She was just high. She was just like, yeah, going, exactly. dude, look at all these people. Woo, <laughs> peace and love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cooper eventually, uh, I don't know if he loses the debate, but he decides, I'm going back down to the cellar. He gets down there, we meet his wife and everything, and she basically tells him, you're an idiot. (laughs) This is where I'm saying that there are stronger characters. Don't judge Barbara as, like, the depiction of women, because, you know, uh, Cooper's wife here, Helen, she's very strong. She's basically telling her husband he's an idiot, and then convinces him, let's go upstairs. She basically convinces him to play wife swap. (laughs) If you watch this... (laughs) I don't know the other guy, Tom or whatever. Like, How about if his wife comes down here with you, and then I go up there with the strong young guy? <laughs> wow. Yes, I didn't think about it that way, but good job. Yeah. <laughs> that not only did George Romero create the horror genre, he also created the great reality show Wife Swap. Wife Swap. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, group that in together just so we can talk about uh, all the new characters and where they should actually be. What, what's what team are you on? Are you on team seller or team main floor? I'm on team everybody but Cooper. I mean, he's a bit of a dick, isn't he? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, look, I will say, like, the character, like, he's done very well. Carl Hardman, like, he, yeah. like, yeah, you, you really kind of don't like him. And I, I know we were talking in a recent episode of uh, one of our Nip Tuck uh, recaps available now via iTunes on the Oz Network. Uh, that you know, when you've got an actor who can play a character really well that you really don't like. You know that's a that's a strong actor, and I was saying before about how this movie didn't have magnificent acting in it. But yeah, like I don't like Cooper. I don't think you're meant to like Cooper. So you know that's done well. But yeah, I was exactly the same as you. Like, what would be the best way? The cellar, you know, stay out there. I mean, honestly, I would have just chosen to leave the house and walk very slowly because they wouldn't catch you. <laughs> 
um, having seen how fast these things move. That's why I don't necessarily believe Ben's story about them all jumping over the truck. I've seen them move. Uh, so I they get caught on clotheslines, okay? Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's, again, like, like, I'm really nitpicking here, but I just find it funny how they're all like, oh my God, we're in the house. Oh shit, what do we do? And like, every time he looks out the window to see what they're doing, there's just like three of them just chilling. Like, I mean, and even at the end of the movie when well, they all kind of like stacks on the mill, let's go there. It's just, I mean, are they waiting for reinforcements? Is that why they're just chilling outside the house? I mean, what, why are they just not- scared of them? Let's not forget, at one point we see one eating a caterpillar off of tree yeah. bark. <laughs> and even even like when they're busting through the window and they're just slowly grabbing at them. And like, I mean, look how much time Ben has got to point his gun at one of them and aim. Like, I mean, he's got like 10 mm-hmm. minutes. He's like, no, will I shoot him there? Will I shoot him? No, no, no. Maybe I'll shoot him there. No, no. Um, and like, even when, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, is it Tom? Who's like chopping the oh, fingers man. off? Yeah. Um, of the thing. So, yeah, I mean, look, again, I'm reading way too much into this. That's like, that's like complaining when we eventually do Jaws that they just can outswim the shark because it's so fucking slow. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Which they could, but again, we've got to be practical here, Ben, in terms of what they're trying to portray on screen. Um, but yeah, I, I love the arguments between Ben and Cooper when they're like that one bit where they like, they yell at each other and it's like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> like it's, you know, yeah. like <laughs> so sixties fighting with each other, you know, like I love how Ben at this point is glad to punch a woman, but he can't punch <laughs> Cooper at this point. <laughs> Pull yourself together, man. <laughs> Let's consider it a moment. Uh, I just, I just love right. some of the lines. Uh, what have I written here? Like, don't shoot. We're from town. <laughs> what if they hate that town they're from? Which town? Like, if it's a Tasmanian yeah, exactly. thing, you won't get this joke. But if they say, don't shoot, we're from Launceston. I'd shoot them anyway. Like, <laughs> And then was it like Tommy's like, you've got a point, Mr. Cooper, but... And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, um, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I mean, the, the Helen and Harry, like, that's Cooper's first name. Like, are they in the midst of a divorce or something? Because they really don't seem to like each other. <laughs> what does she say? Like... I'm like, oh, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. And she says at one point, like, I don't want to be stuck here with you or something like that. <laughs> That's why she wants to play Wife Swap. <laughs> yeah. And when he dies, spoiler alert, she doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of agreeing with you on uh, Cooper because I think he's a good character. Maybe not the best actor. He's not the worst one in this movie. But... It's, again, like I was saying earlier, it's it's showing just different levels of panic with this character. You have him and Ben, who are kind of both the alpha males. You know, Cooper's a little bit more afraid than Ben is, but at the same time, he probably had some better ideas than Ben did, and he's just, he's very erratic, and he's kind of, I think the way that I would be in a situation like this, I'd be more of a Cooper than a Ben. Oh, I'd yeah, probably. Me too. I know how to survive in the situation, but I'd be losing with people. Like in the next scene where they all are upstairs and... (laughs) You are Barbara, yes. Johnny! Johnny! Where's Johnny? We're going to get Johnny! Johnny's got the keys! Ben doesn't even know a Johnny, and that's what he would be saying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Perfect example here of Cooper, though, uh, what's interesting about him is uh, when they are all gathered around the TV in the next scene... And just at random, he's like, you'd better watch this TV, girl, because I'm not repeating myself. <laughs> he gets upset yeah. about the most pointless thing. <laughs> uh, you pay attention. <laughs> it's a very dad mode there. Can I just ask one really, um, really quickly? And, um, when, he, when he goes in the cellar and he boards it up, like, 
that seller already has like rivets ready to put boards in it. Like they're, they're preparing themselves that they need to do something. Whoever owned that house, like, you know, half eaten face woman, like what, <laughs> what, what does she do in that seller? <laughs> like, well, I, I, mean, I, would, <laughs> I was assuming it was like a storm seller or something. Right. Like, uh, you know, in case like, uh, Joe and Bill come in there to storm chase in Twisted 2. Uh, old, yeah. old ladies and nude hippies often try <laughs> to get into a cellar. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, this is a woman's, like, you know, random rape dungeon or something that she's got. But I guess then the boards will be on the outside, not the inside. So, uh, mm. I don't know. I was just reading too much into the rivets in the door ready for the boards. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for another hour on rivets and yeah. doors. What's with those um, rivets? Who are they? What are they doing? <laughs> What's their background? <laughs> uh, so... The TV is where we basically find out. Just before I talk about the TV, I love there's a moment here where uh, I think it's Tom's wife. It might have even been Helen. Uh, just randomly says about Barbara. It's like, uh, her brother died. And it's like, when did they hear this story? <laughs> Circulating. Like, the, the second he died, they're like, Johnny died. Pass it on. They saw it Johnny's on lying next to his <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that Johnny's dead? Hashtag Johnny's dead. (laughs) Barbara hasn't spoken in a day and a half, and somehow they know this. I I heard the Oz Network are doing a tribute episode on all the films of Johnny. (laughs) Hashtag Johnny lives. (laughs) Johnny lives matter. Uh. (laughs) Yes, let's get hashtag Johnny lives matter. Uh Okay, but let's talk about the stuff on the TV here, which they cover a lot, and this is good exposition. I like how you said that the TV footage looks real, especially, this is going to sound weird, but I, I have a, it's not going to sound weird that I have trouble sleeping, but <laughs> I do have trouble sleeping. What I do, most, some people count sheep, you know, uh, some people will take sleeping pills, some people have their partner punch them with a the right hook. Uh, for me to fall asleep... <laughs> I often watch stuff that I know is going to be slower that I won't really fully follow. And it sounds weird, but I went for probably a few months where every night if I couldn't sleep, I would go on YouTube and I would look up news shows from like the 60s or 70s or 80s or time periods where I couldn't remember. And I would watch old news of like a time period I wasn't familiar with. So. Wow. I have seen 60s news clips. I'm kind of the resident expert on 60s news here. (laughs) And I could say this holds up. Um, But it's the little details like the fact that they they don't always have like the the, the big backdrop of a a painted city behind them like you would see maybe later on. Like when you got to 70s news. But they're (laughs) literally in a newsroom and you see a guy in the background picking his nose, not even realizing he's on camera sometimes. (laughs) Uh, But also interesting, if you watch all the way through the end of the credits, they... Uh, give like a special thanks to the whatever Channel 11 News. Uh, so they probably employed the real news and just said, we want you to come up with some fake newscast for us to put on here, which is probably why it works so well. Uh, but they give all the exposition here of you know what's going on. Why is NASA involved? People are wondering, why is NASA involved? Uh, there was a satellite that went to Venus, and of course this you know brought home some radiation from Venus. So we basically find out that uh, Venetian radiation <laughs> is... <laughs> The cause of the zombie apocalypse. Uh, if NASA had just kept it on Earth, none Fucking of this would have NASA. happened. NASA. Far out. Always screwing things up. Faking the man on the moon <laughs> and then causing the zombie apocalypse. Thanks. Uh, I guess the man on the moon was still to come. 
Uh, zombies are probably on the moon now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's a weird, look, it's a weird, um, that I, I didn't really, I wasn't expecting this for all of a sudden just to turn into the fact that, you know, these are almost, they're not space aliens, but I mean, it's kind of like this is all because of, you know, space's fault, essentially. Uh, but and like, yeah. in what, in what, you know, you know about space, Colin, like, when have we ever had a satellite return from another planet? It's, it's never actually happened before. So I didn't realize in 1968 they could do that, you know, particularly from Venus. Okay, cool. Yeah, they, they actually had a, like a full uh, return <laughs> voyage or yeah. whatever. I think Usually was... the satellites kind of stay there. They don't generally. Exactly, otherwise, we, yeah. otherwise we'd have Mars rocks by now. We don't. So it's, yeah. Well, I mean, this this goes back to War of the Worlds where uh, I, I, and again, I, I kind of am big into, like you said, these. Uh, end of the world apocalypse stories or whatever you know told from weird point of views i've even listened to like the orson wells radio broadcast of war of the worlds and i think it's in that where they talk about like these explosions on mars and that would have almost been a more realistic way to think about it because i didn't even think about that well the satellite what's it coming back for uh i think they even say that nasa shot it out of the sky or something like that but wouldn't it have made more sense that maybe, you know, a rock from Venus showed up here or something, yeah. and that's why it started in Pennsylvania? Hey, we're getting a bit nitpicky here, but still. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah. NASA didn't have it the technology to return a satellite from Venus. This film's so unrealistic. Everybody knows that real zombies come from Mercury, not Venus. Exactly. Come on. Exactly. God, George, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> being a... <laughs> it's amazing this guy had a career for 40 whole years after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they, 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 they uh, go off about die another day having an unrealistic surfing scene, you know? <laughs> but they can believe Venus satellite returning? Bullshit. <laughs> it's not the zombies coming to life we're upset about. It's the fact that they came from Venus on a satellite is what we're really <laughs> on about um, here. From Venus. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, banana ramen. Copyright job, material. Ben. We apologize, banana ramen. <laughs> More, what's okay, more offensive, so... Ben's racist remarks or singing Banana Rama? <laughs> Hashtag Banana Rama lives songs. don't matter. <laughs> uh, so this is where they basically form their escape plan, and this is probably the slowest section of the movie. I tuned out. Uh, I'm going to confess here. There may have been some interesting stuff going on between Tom and his wife or whatever, all these uh, lovey-dovey talks they had on here. I'm just not a fan of romance. You you know, fucking love it. romance. <laughs> <laughs> but... I had written my notes on the tablet, like handwritten notes on the tablet, and then somehow that crashed, and I was trying to recover it, and I ended up having to pause it and retype, so I missed a lot of stuff here. But uh, it was kind of boring here where they're just talking about their escape. Uh, We can jump right into the escape itself, which is one of the better sections and really the only action sequence of the movie. And it is pretty big. We talk about the James Bond movies on 007 that you can listen to via iTunes or Stitcher even. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) even Stitcher has 007. Not not Spotify for 007 yet. Sadly, it's only the Oz Network. But um, it will be coming soon to Spotify. (laughs) I love how the only show we don't plug on the Oz Network is the Oz Network. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to the third watch episodes on the Oz Network. No, it's all we need, off we need the podium. Just, we just need to, like, randomly create... You know, like, on when you're watching an episode of TV, they'll have, like, the banner in the bottom left corner, like, you know, watch this yeah. show this week. We need to, like, randomly somehow, like, have something talk over us. So, like, at one point, we need to just be like, third watch episodes available every Wednesday on the Oz <laughs> <Yes>. Network. <laughs> we bring you this special uh, message from our sponsors, the yeah. Oz Network. Um Oh, but seriously, listen to Third Watch on the Oz Network. <laughs> good good listen for a show I've never listened to myself. You love um, it, Colin. You, you download it regularly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
on Stitcher and iTunes and even <laughs> Spotify. <laughs> anyway, so we get Molotov cocktails and a truck escape here. Um, this is where the zombies or ghouls all start screaming loudly. <laughs> as Ben claimed, they don't know how to make noise. Uh, I love my favorite moment here and there. Download exclusive recaps of Third Watch so every gassed. Wednesday on the Oz and- Network. <laughs> Ben puts his torch down about three inches from the gas pump. What could go wrong here? (laughs) (laughs) So he basically kills Tom and and Judy, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. He's responsible for the death of uh, ordinary looking people. But so their their attempt is foiled. He goes back inside and he just gets in a fight with Cooper. This is a fight a long time coming, I guess. Um, but at the same time, I, I kind of have to ask the question, why does he punch him for helping with it? It's the way it's played in this. Cooper's like, I don't know if I can help. I don't know if I can help. Or I don't know if it's a good idea. I should go back to my cellar. And then he comes and he helps him board up the door. And Ben turns to him and punches him in the head. <laughs> it just seemed like the wrong time to punch him. He just likes to punch, punch people, that- Ben. He just punches he everyone. Yeah. Oh, I'm Ben. Punch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really nothing wrong with Coop, the Cooper's daughter downstairs. Ben just went down there and started, like, wailing on her for no reason. <laughs> Shut up, punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was one line I just want to mention that we... Uh, uh, Mr. We missed. Thanks a lot, Ben, as I'm <laughs> talking here. What? Uh, but when Barbara finally starts talking again, this is where she starts. Johnny has the keys. We need to get the keys from Johnny. <laughs> but even after that, where um, uh, it's like we we're gonna leave now. It's like we have to leave. We need to leave. Oh, I'd like to leave. Yes. <laughs> Barbara just gets really weird here. And again, I like the way the character is because it's very realistic of the way that Ben would be. <laughs> We're going to assign roles to what everybody's going to be during the zombie apocalypse here. We know that I'm Cooper. We know that Ben is Barbara. So somebody's <laughs> going to have to be our Ben. Uh, somebody will have to be Noah. our dead little girl in the basement. <laughs> Noah so, is the Ben. No, Noah's both the girl <laughs> and Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, let's just... The, the failed escape here, I guess, is the next section to talk about. And if you have anything to say on uh, why Ben decides to punch Cooper at that moment when he's being helpful. Ben Ben's just training to be a boxer. Uh, he's just, you know, <laughs> punch, punch, punch. Um, the, 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 the lovey-dovey scene that you missed over... Uh, I just, I mean, it was very, because, like, Tom and Judy, like, because we've got to care about these two, apparently. Um, and Judy is, like, the most irrelevant character in this film. Like, she's, yeah. she just pops up at one moment. I think she says, like, three things. They recall a story about how there was a flood. I mean, they've had pretty bad luck, Tom and Judy. They had to escape a flood. Now they have to escape a zombie apocalypse. Uh, and then they're kind of like the, the guinea pigs who are going to escape. And what is this plan? So they, they, they've got the truck, which, Ben had, right? So he pulled in there to get gas, but he couldn't because it was locked. Yet somehow they can still drive it to the gas tank. So it's got a little bit of gas in there. It's not like it's empty. Yeah. And then they find the key. And then by the time they get to the gas pump, which they couldn't use because they didn't have a key, the key doesn't work. So in the end, he just shoots the lock and it works. So (laughs) we've spent a good couple of hours going, fuck, we can't leave because we don't have the key, but I've got a gun. That didn't come into your head before, Ben. Um, mm-hmm. And also, having watched plenty of movies where if you shoot a gas tank, it explodes. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> he kind of got lucky there. For that yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Uh, but yeah, like Ben does kill Tom and Judy because he just like puts mm. the fucking thing down. Why? Why, Ben? Why? <laughs> just I love I love the bit where they're driving off. Like, was it when Judy eventually comes outside because she initially decides to stay, and they've got that like weird reaction shot of when she walks out and then they shut the door on Judy. It's like fuck, I can't go there, but I can't go there. Um, <laughs> so again, what well, I don't understand their plan. So the plan is for Tom and Judy to drive off yet leave everyone back at the house. Now, Tom and Judy don't necessarily know these people that well. It's a survival situation. You're left with your loved one. Now, just let's be honest here, Colin. If you, Jamie, and Casper are in a house, you've met some random people, you've got the opportunity to drive off, are you coming back for them? I'm not. <laughs> uh, well, let's be honest. I'm a Cooper. I'd be locked in the basement the whole time. I'd never be anywhere near there. <laughs> Just a word of advice to anybody who's listening to this show. Don't ever get involved with me in a survival situation. Uh, I'm going to be a selfish <laughs> bastard. Um, but, like, the fact of the matter is when they stop and then what, what happens? So one of them gets out of the car and the next thing you know, the car explodes. You're laughing at this point because they're burning to death. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... And I just love the reactions of, like, Cooper watching this. He's just kind of like, oh, no. Ben's like, oh, fuck, I'm a murderer. Um, and then just, like, back into the house. Lol, that didn't happen. But, like, I do love, like, just this punch-up. Because, you know, Ben walks in and he's just, like, he's just an angry man. Like, you know, he's just... I can see why he's pissed off, because obviously Cooper didn't necessarily help him at first. But then it's just like, punch, 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 punch. What's that helping in that situation, Ben, all right? Like, you know, I still don't see why Ben just doesn't do a runner. He can easily take these people. He's got a gun that never runs out of bullets, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's able to just, like, stab these people with tire irons, punch everybody else. (laughs) And yet he still wants to stay in this house. So I think Ben's strong and good enough that he could easily outrun these people, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, he just he just needed to get into a random fist fight with Cooper because that that let's be honest, Ben's the audience at that point. <laughs> He's like, "Fuck yeah. you, Cooper!" Punch, punch, punch. <laughs> just like earlier with Barbara, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, oh, actually, so kind of- one, one line, one line, actually, just really quickly was when they were like going to a- escape. Was I can't remember who said it or Cooper, but one of them are basically, you know, you can tell that these people are so influenced by TV because they're like, that's what the television said. <laughs> like, so it must be right. <laughs> like, because the news would never be wrong, would it? <laughs> I hope there's somebody the out there listening to this guy. That's what the podcast said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just you need to listen to these episodes to survive the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> we no. are your th- no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> listen to Rob um, has a George Romero. They probably talk about it better. <laughs> uh, let's <laughs> jump into climax here. Climax. Uh, so we get <laughs> climax. Um, there's some pretty gory flesh eating here. Stuff oh, that yeah. would maybe. Be a little bit gross in 2017 is a little bit gross in 2017, especially when we're watching the little girl who, at this point, we've already suspected because I think they dropped the hint in the earlier scene that you know uh, our, our daughter uh, she was bitten by one of those things, and this is when they've had the background news talking about uh, oh some of these who have been eaten are coming back to life. So we knew this was coming, but like it's it's disturbing. Like you said, what was the word you used? Confronting. Um, yeah. yeah, like. To, to see, A, a little girl who is eating human flesh, 
but also coming after a father. You know, it's it's it is a disturbing scene, and this is I think where in 1968, it's just shock maybe more than it is terror. It's, it's like that's why there was a lot of controversy in the movie. It's interesting that if you look at the reviews this got at the time, this movie got negative reviews because people were disgusted by some of the stuff in here, and some of it's you know heavy even now like this. Um, but uh, yeah, th there's a line here about yeah, kill the brain and you kill the ghoul. Uh, they basically realize now if you hit these things uh, in TV, this is all the news footage on TV. If you hit them in the head, which is going to you know come about later, uh, if their brain's dead, then they're gone. Here is the biggest plot hole of the entire movie. And maybe there's going to be some people out there saying, well, this has been going on for days and Barbara and Johnny just didn't realize it. There's nothing in this movie that implies that any of this happened uh, any earlier than when Johnny and Barbara are attacked in the graveyard. You know, maybe a few hours earlier, because that's when Ben's talking about it, you know, in that afternoon. But we're watching all these newscasts that are in broad daylight. This movie is Night of the Living Dead. And they're, they're not, this is not like you could say, well, these are older stories from the previous day, the re-airing, because they're saying, this just in, we've now discovered how you can kill these things. And you see people in broad daylight saying, if you shoot them in the head, then they're dead. But the whole movie is still at nighttime. Like, it doesn't make sense. That could be on the West Coast. No. <laughs> <laughs> Talking, the local Pennsylvania news is on the West Coast. <laughs> yes, it's a bit of a delay. Uh, no, I, I know. I, I'm just, I was trying to come up with a weird thing. But, of course, we, as we know, this is only on the eastern seaboard. It hasn't even, what is it, west of the Mississippi, they say. Like, only parts of Texas. So, this is only an East Coast uh, epidemic anyway. Um, okay, so... Basically, what happens here is they're all coming inside. Even Cooper gets scared. Uh, that's the stereotype of obnoxious bald guys in 1968. It's kind of <laughs> like the whole women are going to be paralyzed with fear. The obnoxious bald guys are going to be terrified and end up getting shot. Um, <laughs> not get into who shoots them. Because that's going to set us off for the finale here. <laughs> Why does Ben shoot cooper here it seems a little bit extreme <laughs> well because um i i don't know um he he was a bit trigger happy and thought he had a gun um, i mean i don't i don't, I don't bad joke i don't know I i'm really going to <laughs> i'm gonna do something here everybody out there and i know we've mentioned it before has seen the re-edited trailers for Top Gun, turning it into kind of a homoerotic <laughs> love story. You don't need to re-edit uh, Top Gun to do that. It just happens on its own. <laughs> <laughs> but you could easily re-edit this movie to make Ben the villain if you wanted to. And I'm saying I like Ben, but the fact that he punches people at random. Uh, and yeah, we know that, like we said, Cooper is a dick. You know, you, wa you want, as the audience member, you want him to get punched. I don't know if you want him to be shot, but... The timing of when Ben attacks him both times is so weird because here you have his wife being torn apart and Barbara being torn apart by these zombies. And Ben's like, forget the women. I'm going to chase after the obnoxious bald guy and shoot him. Yes. He could be saving the women at this moment. He but could he be shooting the zombies, not the bald guy. Yeah, exactly. Why does but he never like, use his gun not... until that point? Like he doesn't, like he doesn't shoot these zombies who are ripping butt. Johnny's back. Like shoot Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, there he is. He's a zombie now. But no, let's shoot bald Cooper. Yeah, and it, it, it makes no sense because Cooper's wife is being ripped apart. 
And Ben's like, forget her. He just wants his revenge. It's it's very weird. Um, still a great movie though, but very weird. And you know, Barbara again. Everybody likes to criticize. Oh, their stereotype of you know women with Barbara. Barbara's the one who saves the day when everybody else is cowering and you know going after their revenge uh, schemes. Barbara's the one that dives in, and yeah, she ends up dying, but you know she has her brave moment at the end. You know, Ben is eventually the only survivor here. He goes down to the basement, and there's the little girl zombie. Um, the the scene here with uh, uh, you, you, I, I think I've forgotten. Was it Ben or was it Cooper who has to kill her? Uh, it's it's Ben because Cooper yeah. gets killed by the girl. That's right. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, um, he's, he's no, that's right. He has his down over the top dramatic oh, death reaching yeah. out to her <laughs> uh, before then she's eating because then she kills her mum. Right? Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, a little bit confused here on the end, but. The way that Ben kills her with the the spade, I guess it is. Now, they talk about Psycho in 1960, eight years earlier than this, having, like, the most gruesome death scene, which still, if you watch that, that is pretty gruesome, especially since you're not seeing as much. I'm going to say this tops that. Like, this is one of the most violent death scenes without showing you everything. One of the most violent death scenes you've seen in a long time, particularly because you are killing a little girl. Like, I can see why this would even be controversial if you release it today. Um... In the end, uh, I guess what happens, Ben survives, and um, he wakes up in the morning, and everything's fine, because now you got the police and the military on the hunt for uh, the uh, zombies. Well, well, I guess we'll leave that for the last scene here. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that separately, because we're going to have a lot to say on that. So the entire climax here of um, the zombies coming in, killing everybody, and Ben turning into a serial killer, <laughs> killing an entire family, one man... <laughs> It's. I mean, the one thing I say with the scene uh, when the zombies go, the ghouls, sorry, go into the car um, and are eating Tom and Judy. Um, it's kind of it's interesting, like seeing it because I mean you're loving the fact that they're you know attacking charred, burnt bodies. But like it's kind of straight away when you see like I wasn't maybe expecting to see what then we saw because like then you literally are seeing them like eating intestines and guts and you know bones and. And, like, chewing on the hand, like, that was very kind of like, whoa, okay, I can imagine in, like, 1968 yeah. how that would have been. And, I mean, you and I both watched the the black and white, the original version. I know there is uh, a colorized version of this, and, I mean, I had the option of watching that, but I thought, no, I'd watch it kind of how it was originally. So, I, I'd be interested to kind of look to see how they've colorized, like, these guts and all that sort of stuff. Because uh, I was reading how um, in some of those scenes on the bones and the the ghouls are eating it, that it was like um, ham on bone with chocolate sauce. And that apparently, <laughs> like, it was so disgusting that the actors weren't exactly uh, faking, like, their pale skin and everything along those lines because it was sort of, you know, they're being forced to eat really disgusting things. But that was very, like, wow, they're really showing a ghoul eating, like, uh, you know, intestines, basically. So that was pretty confronting. But, yeah, like, I like kind of going back to a saying about how, like, these zombies are just chilling out the front of the house, right? And all of a sudden they yeah. decide to, like, you know, attack. So, I mean, they have, like, a little meeting. Like, you flank this side, you flank that side. We'll go on from there, we'll go on from there. We'll attack this window, you get that window. And, you know, it's, it's when Johnny shows up, let's be honest. Johnny is the brains behind the, uh, <laughs> the, the zombie attack of the house. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's so weird why he shoots... Mr. Cooper, <laughs> like, I mean, it does lead to, like, the really awesome dramatic death I was talking about before, like, yeah. but this whole time, this whole time, I'm actually, I've written down in my notes about three times, like, what about the daughter? They've just left her in the cellar. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, no yeah. one's down there protecting this whole time. her. Yeah. Um, and that's, and 
she was so worried in the first place. Oh, I don't want to leave her down there. That's why they really did the wife swap thing, so the little girl <laughs> wouldn't be alone. She spends the majority of this movie alone. Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting, like I was saying before, how I kept thinking that body upstairs was going to come to life. Um, which again mm-hmm. it does, and actually just really quickly, when he went way back early, when Ben moves the body, if you actually notice her face is fine when you kind of get a, a brief little glance, glimpse of a face. Uh, I don't know that you were talking about the boom mic mistake before. That's the mistake I noticed. But download exclusive uh, yeah. recaps so, like, of Third Watch dies, every Wednesday on the Oz Network. Kind of, you're sort of expecting it from that point, and it actually it reminded me. I don't know if you're much of a video game fan, but there was the very first Resident Evil game where there was that scene where you kind of you first are introduced to the zombies in resident evil and you've got that iconic scene of the zombie turning around with blood on its face eating it like is that (laughs) very like whoa fuck um so that was like that and then the funniest bit though is like when the daughter eventually kills a mum right this this just reminded me of (laughs) this really weird way to remind me the austin power scene when he's laying on the ground and the steamroller is coming towards him and he's like no Like Austin Powers is like, oh, move, move. Like, get out of the way, get out of the way. It's going so slowly. You've got this tiny little girl going so slowly towards a mother with like this spade, and she's like, going, no. And it's like, get up and walk away. <laughs> I'm like, you, you can move, woman. Your death is your own fault. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I mean, even, yeah, like, all those sequences involving this little girl, uh, even, you know, 40 years later, we can still say it is quite <laughs> disturbing and confronting. And, I mean, we've seen a lot worse in movies nowadays with sort of, you know, more realistic special effects and things like that. But, I mean, I again, going back to what I said before, I can't imagine what people thinking about this in 1968 would have been, you know, seeing. But, yeah, Ben going in the cellar and basically just knocking everybody else off. And, um, you know, the thing I will say with these ghouls is that they have very easily killed. So it's like, yeah. you know, this is why I kind of keep saying, like, just go outside and run. Your bullets never run out in your gun, mate. Um, so stop shooting Mr. Cooper and, like, go for a runner and <laughs> just, you know, start plucking some people off with your rifle as you're going outside in Western Pennsylvania. You know, Bob's your uncle, you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, I want to talk about the cellar really quickly before we jump, like, very quickly here, just because you mentioned earlier, it's like, well, maybe Ben should have gone in the cellar, and if you <laughs> actually that, do think... The cellar is the right place to be, there you go. Yeah, my note basically says Ben ends up in the cellar, um, <laughs> because it, let's think about it now, you know, uh, from the audience's point of view, you are meant to think, well, Cooper's an idiot, and throughout the movie, Cooper <laughs> is an idiot, but the very t- first time we're introduced to him, he says... Let's be in the cellar. There's only one door for them to get in there. In the end, other than the little girl, which if they, we know that Ben can take care of her. If they were all down there, they all could have taken care of her. Um, if they had all gone down there and spent the night down there, by morning they're awake, and it's not going to be one guy's head coming out of the window and gets shot. It's going to be a bunch of people saying, hey, we're in here, we're alive. Yeah. And they all survive. So uh, I guess the moral of the story is listen to the obnoxious bald fat guy. <laughs> One thing I just wanted to quickly add, too, is I love it when they're, they're talking before about... And I think it was Cooper saying, like, oh, if we, if we go down the cellar, they'll eventually rescue us. I kept, like, thinking, like, well, do you know they will rescue you? Because, like, okay, they ultimately do come to the house. We know that, and we, we learn that from the news reports. But if you think about it, if they're down in that cellar, they're not going to see those news reports. They're not going to know what is happening outside. So why is there automatic assumption that somebody's going to rescue them? It's like, if you live in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, which clearly they sort of do... 
um, you know, they might get forgotten about. I mean, are you out there in, you know, rural Manitoba going to have everybody rescued in the prairies of Canada? Probably not. (laughs) Because I'm a cooper. I'm in the cellar. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Let's move on and talk about the last scene here, which this is the part where I'm not going to have anybody say, oh, well, this was intended to be you know, a racial thing at the time, because there's nothing in the movie that says that. But you watch this scene in 2017, which basically what happens is you, the police and the military, as I was saying, they're out there. They've realized how to kill these people and they're shooting zombies left, right and center, not even bothered by it. Uh, ben, realizing there's people out there, sticks his head out of the window. They look in there like, oh, look, there's one there. I can see it sticking his head out and shoots him. Now, 2017, your black yeah. hero doing nothing wrong other than the fact that he's just murdered a man <laughs> for being a dick yeah. and stabbed a little girl. But um, this plays completely differently. And I will say it's just playing completely differently now. I don't believe that this is the way it was intended to be in 1968. Uh, because even in 2005 or 2007, the last time I saw this movie, I didn't take this out of it. And it wasn't that there weren't shootings even at that point. It's just, this is so uh, big in the news right now over the last year or two that this does play very differently. And, and in some ways, maybe it'll give people a different perspective on the movie. And they're like, wow, that's interesting. Um, but uh, honestly, this was just George Romero giving a tragic end to the movie. It's, it, this is your typical horror film. It doesn't matter who, no matter what horror movie it is, Whoever survives, if they do live through the end, it's something where it's like, oh, well, they're going to be tormented. Like, I remember even the first Nightmare on Elm Street, they have this ending where you think that, you know, there's people who get away with it. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, no, they're all going to be dead in a second. There's Freddy. Uh, so this is just the way these movies are supposed to end. It's it's more interesting because you see that it's all because these are ordinary looking people <laughs> that this happens. Which is why that line is probably in the movie in the first place. Because maybe what who knows if George Romero was meant to. This is where I was saying earlier. He kind of, well, we'll we'll talk a little bit about why he did this. But that last scene, how does it play to you now? How do you think it was intended? Um, I mean, I I will admit I did write. Are they just being racist? But like, I mean, that a yeah. lot of that a lot of that will I say come from I guess my warped humor, and I guess it probably does. Like you're absolutely right. It does play differently now watching this with all the issues in society we've got around with police shooting sort of, you know, uh, black people. But, I mean, in, in in defense of the police here, this guy actually was armed, whereas a lot of the guys they are killing nowadays apparently aren't armed. So that was mm-hmm. a bad joke, Ben. Uh, but, yeah, like, it's... um, I, I think I kind of only wrote that as a joke sort of thing. At the same time, I did not honestly think this was, a like, a race thing. Like, again, it's... um, I, I felt more the underlining tensions between Cooper and, and Ben were more racial than this if I was to read into things. Um, but, I mean, like, I, I just think Ben was an idiot the way he came out of the cellar and the way he played. Like, why doesn't he come out like, no, 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 shoot, don't shoot, I'm here, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he literally comes out. And I can understand it. He's, you know, being, like, cautious. But, I mean, he's hearing gunshots. He's hearing sirens. He's hearing dogs. Like, at this point, he's the one earlier in the movie who said, these things don't make noises. These things don't do this. These things don't do that. So, surely he can put two and two together and I, I think it's Ben's own fault that he dies because if you're going to be that slow and cautious and stick your head out the window, of course they're going to shoot him. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I do think it's very interesting, though. Um, 
I guess, watching this film in today's context with what we do have going on, which is kind of unique to think that, again, 1968, you know, racial tensions were still a big issue in the US at that point. So it's not like this shouldn't have been a thing like that, but Mm -hmm. how we can say in 2017 to date this episode that it's more so a thing perhaps now that the police are shooting a, a black man than it would have been in 1968. It's kind of... I don't well, know if that's a bad or a, like a... I didn't, when it is a bad thing. I shouldn't say I don't think it isn't, but yeah. Here's the thing. I think you can interpret any movie any way you want if you exactly. try hard enough. And yeah. I could find ways right now to create debates for or against that argument. You look at the time period, like you're saying, now the big thing is, well, you know, the shooting of people, the, the assumption of crime uh you know uh, for different races oh you're assuming that the the you know these are your criminals 1968 was different again i'm not from 1968 but if you watch enough news broadcasts on youtube trying to go to bed at night for 1968 <laughs> uh you realize if george romero is writing this movie then he's going to be based on what's in the media and what was in the media then was that it was the people who were standing up for their rights that were being attacked it wasn't like oh there's a black man let me shoot him you know that's 2017 it was different then so the whole reason for this, I don't think it has anything, because especially because George Romero has come out and said certain things about this movie were intentional to be kind of a commentary on the times. He said Ben never was. It was just a character he wrote and he cast the actor he liked the best, which is why we don't have his race even addressed in the movie. Um, you could find a way to spin this. Most movies that came out during the 50s or the 60s, uh, early 60s, this ending is basically the communism scare in the United States, you know, McCarthyism. It's, uh, oh, your neighbors are communists. We have to put everybody in jail who even breathes the words communist, you know. You could find a way to spin that. You know, we're talking 1968. You're only a few years removed from that whole paranoia. And all of a sudden, this movie's about, well, zombies, everybody around you, they're ordinary-looking people, but we got to get rid of them because they could be communists. <laughs> they're Russians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, George Romero has said that he kind of wanted this movie about the whole zombies and ordinary looking people. Uh, it was more for him about just the entire time period you're living in. You know, 1968 is historically known for being one of the you know most tragic years and, and just like a downright uh, depressing year in so many different fronts. You're not just like, you know, look at Martin Luther King, but like Robert Kennedy and, uh, uh, the Vietnam War and everything. And George Romero, I guess, is uh, the only indication he's ever given is what this could mean is that he always looked at just everybody being so heated. The, 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 no matter who you talk to, they were upset about something. <laughs> They're vocal about How something. How does that sound and familiar? Then, Why does that sound yeah, so exactly. familiar? <laughs> it's just back then they had reasons to be upset. It wasn't just, yeah. let, let's be let's be upset because we don't like that a woman's playing Doctor Who. A female <laughs> Doctor Who! But, um, yeah, it's a different time period you're living in. But things were more subtle back then, and people were putting these in movies. But this is a cheap movie, and you also have to look at history and realize that when George Romero started writing this, he wanted to write a comedy. So I don't think he was sitting there putting so much thought into this movie. He's like, I want this to be a commentary on uh, black rights in America. This one's going to be on women's place in the kitchen. You know, this one's going to be about communism and the Viet. There are critics out there who are basically claiming this entire movie is about the Vietnam War. (laughs) And every time there's something, you know, in the news, people claim people claim now that every movie is about Trump. Dunkirk is about Trump. War for the Planet of the Apes. That was really about Trump, wasn't it? You know? 
10 years ago, it was all Bush. And at this point, it was all the Vietnam War, 1968. He was making a zombie movie. He meant for it to be a comedy, and they didn't like the script for the comedy. So he's like, let me make it scary and gory. Don't read too much in the movie. But there are ways this movie plays where it's interesting to analyze it and think, well, it's the time period it's in. It's cool to see that this could have been interpreted that way. Here's a uh, very interesting public service announcement, I will say, for the citizens of 2017. Sometimes it is possible to watch something and not get offended uh, because there yeah. are actually <laughs> things that are created just to be enjoyed and that's purely what it mm. is. And probably a bit uh, pot calling the kettle black given that we've been here for about two hours trying to find things to nitpick about and talk about. But, yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know what it says about society that we can kind of... So much of this is relatable, like how you're saying, people are reading in all this sort of stuff, and I think we've kind of gotten worse as a society when it comes to that sort of stuff, but that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, this is a, a movie. It's a movie. Uh, I mean, I can just end, yeah. you know, period, right there. I, I mean, it's it, you've got to look at it for so many different things. It's like, I can you can see why, perhaps, why people are trying to read in one thing or another, but... You know, at the end of the day, we've had this movie. He's gotten shot as, again, I think it's purely his own fault. It's got nothing to do with the colour of his skin. Uh, I mean, and as we said at the beginning of this episode, there's really nothing, that, well, not even really, there is nothing in this movie at all painted for any purposes of underlying racism or anything like that, which you've really got to give props to George Romero for that. As you said, he liked him as an actor, so he cast him purely because he liked the guy as an actor. And and th- I think that's more admirable than going out of your way to yeah. do a social commentary. And that's, that's society. That, that to me, is what society and, and things when you fight for equality should be. It's, it doesn't matter what it should be. And, like, look, you know, it, when it comes down to a lot of what they do in Hollywood and casting nowadays and this, that, and everything else, you know, they, they do go for a certain... You, you know, try to expand things and make things a different way by casting a female, casting an African-American, casting this in certain roles because they do it to get a reaction in some ways. We shouldn't live in a society that way. We should live in a world where, you know, a woman is Doctor Who. Nobody should even blink an eyelid at something like that. It should just be accepted straight away. I'm really getting preachy right now, but, like, I'm just, yeah, it's... At the end of the day, people, this is a movie, all right? I know you yeah. listen to a two-hour podcast of us trying to, like, whatever. We're doing this for entertainment purposes because Colin and I don't have a life, all right? That's why <laughs> we're doing it. We're not here to try and change your mind. You want that crap? Go listen to something produced by the BBC or something. I don't know. This is the fucking Oz Network, all right? Okay? You've got a host in this show who likes Die Another Day. You've got a host in this show who likes The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's enough. <laughs> that, <laughs> that should tell you where our opinions come from. Um, no, it's not about Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but this podcast is. And yes, ben's absolutely. Angry. It's all hidden, it's all underlying. Fun. We're all Trump supporters, let's be honest. Make uh, America great again. <laughs> you said, you know, you think it's Ben's fault. I think it's actually a different ending. We're, we're getting very much interpreting the ending here, but it's funny because I just think the simple way of this ending is that this entire movie, and if you look at how, as I pointed out, every character is representing a different type of panicky person. You know, you have Ben panicky, but he just gets really heated at stuff. You have Cooper, who's panicky and just irrational at times. You have Barbara, who's panicky and uh, a complete uh, uh, train wreck. Uh, you have Judy, who's pan- not panicky at all. She just seems to be there. <laughs> but in reality, if something like this happened and all of a sudden dead bodies are coming back to life and they're destroying people and 
we see what happens from this point on in the series, even if George Romero never had a huge series in mind. You know, he spent decades, maybe even 40 years doing this. Um, it was all kind of just about what would people react like in the situation. And you would be shooting at anything you saw at this point. You're, you're going to be worried, oh, I got to kill them all. So if you see a head, you're going to shoot it. You and know? they're American it, as well, people. Let's not forget they're American. This is a Canadian movie. It's completely different. Oh, sorry, <laughs> eh? Can, yeah. we, can we save you, sir? <laughs> and they shot a lot of other people, too. Yes. I mean, we don't know if all of those were ghouls. We know that naked uh, <laughs> woman wasn't a ghoul. She was just a stoned hippie. That's right, yeah. Uh, hippie lives don't matter. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Aww. But anyways, let's kind of wrap this up. Um, let's be honest. Uh, if, if, overall... if we just went into every single movie, Colin, and just were basically like, welcome to the Oz Network, this is uh, Not a Living Dead, it's just a movie, people enjoy it. Uh, so what do you think of it? Uh, buy it, bin it, return it. Uh, that's how an episode would go. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we're, we're looking for things to talk about in this, and it's funny because... I picked up on a lot of the things, not so much about, oh, well, this is a social commentary, because I don't think there is that much in this movie, but just what George Romero was able to do with violence in this and uh, with bringing a new genre in with the zombie genre. Zombies prior to this, you know, you could do a lot of research and realize that even the word zombies more or less referred to voodoo cults prior to this. It wasn't undead at all. Well, the word zombie is not used in this film, is it? Like, it's not mentioned at all. it isn't at all. And if you look even just at the type of character of what the ghouls are in this movie, just that these undead come back to life and they, you know, eat human flesh and then it spreads like a virus that all started here. And that the, the level of gore and violence was something that hadn't been done at the time. Uh, having, you know, a, a black action hero, male lead where they don't even address it in the movie. And he's your hero, even though maybe he's not the hero. Uh, you know, these are all interesting things he did. More than anything, what I come out of this movie watching is just how great it must have been at the time, even though at the time I probably would have been like those children crying in the front row. <laughs> Why did I come here? <laughs> but it's so cool to look back and imagine what it would have been like to see a movie like this for the first time because we're desensitized to this now. You know, My wife had on Insidious Part 3 before I was doing this and I fell asleep during it. You know, I don't think that would have ever happened if this was 1968, but Night of the Living Dead made it so that every movie we have now is like this. Yeah, and I think that's definitely important if you're going to take anything and you're going to, like, come into this with, you know, viewpoints that it's a commentary on this or, you know, it's got racial undertones and sexism, whatever. Like, I think the real thing you really need to come into this thinking is the fact that this movie was made in 1968. And I think that it's, um, you know, going back to when I was saying I don't necessarily like old movies, I like, can still at least come into this and, and you know, know, know it for what it is and kind of appreciate what George Romero did with this film for the time, you know, create a new genre, you know, the shock value of, of the scenes that we, we saw in this and just try and anticipate what Mildred would have thought about in 1968 when she's seeing this film. Oh, know. good old Mildred. Yeah, we miss Mildred. <laughs> Download 007 available for iTunes. <laughs> um, this, we really have sold out on the Oz Network. We're just, we're just selling everything front and centre. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's, that's the important thing. And I think that's kind of something that you and I as... as 
film fans and, you know, from my background of studying film and kind of what, you know, I was always drummed into is that you, you appreciate a film for when it was made. I mean, I'm not saying that all films in the 60s should be given a pass based on the time they were made. I mean, there are some rubbish films still made in those, those time periods. You can't escape that. But, I mean, if this film was made this way in 2017 with this style of acting and this type of special effects... You know, you're going to give it a bit more shit than we have with this, but yeah. Uh, Let's jump into the reviews here. uh, Now that we have covered all the social commentary, (laughs) what you tune into us to to actually hear. (laughs) Download exclusive recaps Um, of Third Watch every Wednesday on the Oz Network. Me, it's kind of obvious what I'm going to go with with this, because I did mention... I bought a copy of this. I should say it's not like I'm the biggest fan. I find it a very interesting movie uh, for all the reasons I already mentioned, uh, more historically than anything else, but it ca- caught my attention at 4 o'clock in the morning. So even if I did buy it in a discount bin for less than $5, I still bought it. So for me, this one's definitely a buy it. Um, I, it's not like the strongest buy it ever. I have uh, other movies. Uh, I can even think of you know one uh, zombie type movie that's probably better than this 28 days later but still it's it's a, it's a good enough movie that I would recommend if you could find it in a discount bin which uh, we should also mention this movie was never properly copywritten in the first place so you can <laughs> get this like there's it, it not only on YouTube if you go to the Wikipedia page you can click on the movie and watch it on Wikipedia yes <laughs> This movie is completely in the public domain, so big mess up there, and they probably lost millions upon millions of dollars, which is maybe the reason there were sequels. Uh, But for that reason, you can find it cheap. It's definitely worth buying, and historically speaking, it's a very interesting movie to watch just for seeing something that was this revolutionary. Look, for somebody who'd never seen it, never really, you know, had thought about ever seeing it until George Romero died... um, you know, it was, yeah, I kind of went into it with loose expectations. I was going to think to myself, oh, God, this is going to be crap, you know, whatever. And, you know, just spend my time laughing at this, that and everything else. But, I mean, I I think I said to you off air that at no point did I kind of watch this film and think, oh, God, is it over yet? Like, it was kind of, it was, I enjoyed it through that aspect of it. Um, I mean, this probably, I will still say, isn't a movie that I would go out of my way to rewatch. If it's on TV, sure, you know, um, you know, if we want to come back and celebrate the 50th anniversary of this in 10 years' time, um, <laughs> we can, uh, you know, uh, look at that. But, yeah, I, I, if if I'm in a shop and I see this, I, I'm probably not going to go out of my way to buy it. So I, I'd probably only put a rented on it. But, I mean, it's still not to take away from, you know, the fact that I did not not enjoy this film. I just think maybe Download I Download exclusive of, recaps of know, Third Watch every Wednesday on the Oz Network. commentary on my soapbox and then kind of just go back to watching Die Another Day. So, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd rent it. I Yeah, I, I'm in the middle with it. I liked it, but didn't completely love it enough to, to spend money on it. Dawn of the Dead is our next one. We'll be back next week to talk about that one, and then we'll eventually wrap it up with Day of the Dead. Uh, I did mention I have seen Dawn of the Dead at least once. Uh, When I found Night of the Living Dead in a bargain bin, I also found Dawn of the Dead in a bargain bin and had never seen it. So I'm like, ah, might as well grab it. So I technically bought it, but that's not my review because I bought it without having ever seen it. (laughs) I'm not even sure I have the the, uh, original copy of it still. I may have sold it or thrown it away or something, but... Uh, that's not spoiling my review, uh, because I did remember kind of enjoying the movie. I just remember nothing about it. Night of the Living Dead, I remember it vividly, even like more than 10 years later. Dawn of the Dead, I think I kind of remember the end of it. So, 
Uh, it's going to be really interesting to go back and watch over. And like you said, you've never seen Dawn of the Dead before. But it was like 10 years later when George Romero made the movie. He'd kind of already uh, spent a few years making other things. The Crazies is another cult favorite film he made during that time. And Dawn of the Dead was like, I'm going to go back and do this and do it with a big budget and see what I can pull off. And uh, obviously more people are probably going to be familiar with Zack Snyder's remake that came out uh, maybe 2004, 2005. But that'll be the next one we cover. Do you have any, I know you haven't seen it, but do you have any knowledge of Dawn of the Dead? Uh, have you even seen Zack Snyder's? No, no, I haven't even seen that one. And I mean, I, I probably, as you just said, I'd be more familiar with that. I remember when that came out and a lot of my friends saw it, a lot of my friends liked it. Um, and I just, again, as I said, never really been a huge horror fan, so I didn't go out of my way to to see it. So, yeah, I, I am interested to, to see it. I've kind of obviously already found a copy of it and sort of flicked through it a little bit. And it's kind of interesting how we're doing this trilogy, how what we're doing, one from the 60s, one from the 70s, and one from the 80s. So... Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how it all plays out and kind of, uh, hopefully Johnny might make a triumphant return at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all want Johnny to come back. Hashtag Johnny lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, this was fun to cover this. And like we said, we're doing this, uh, not because we're like, we're the biggest George Romero fans. We know a lot of people out there are. And we also want to always do these episodes of things we've never seen before, so it's going to be fun to cover these, and we'll be back next week. Uh, what other episodes do you have coming up uh, in the next week or this week, Ben? You're back to third watch, as you said. Yeah, third watch, Nip Tuck, still plugging along um, and doing fine with those. Um, I believe you and I are going to see Dunkirk. Uh, yeah, just, together. Yeah, absolutely, we'll somehow. We'll Skype each other. in the middle, like... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to meet somewhere in the middle, like Kenya or something. Yeah, that's the middle. Aren't we going the other direction? Uh, I thought maybe like Hawaii <laughs> I guess would, that would be, be a little bit closer. Yeah, more, more of the middle. <laughs> sure, we can go I'm the, the guy long way. Calculated forty years. Yeah. <laughs> Geography also up there with maths in your uh, your strong suit. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to to seeing that. That's, is that a weird thing to say? I'm looking forward to seeing a movie movie about like lots of people dying in a war. Um, sure, um, it was a lot. Dying of zombie cannibalism. <laughs> true, true. But I, I will say on a little side sort of uh, note in, when it comes to at least television side of things, uh, if you're a Survivor fan, I'm sure there's some of you, Catherine, I know you're listening, um, from our Survivor Oz days, obviously Australian Survivor starting this week. So uh, our preview episode is available. If you want to hear me um, rip into people and call them douches for three hours, then by all means do it. And, uh, yeah, that starts this week. So looking forward to that. Can I just say, Colin, we have, we have gone under two hours hours for this uh we're, we're almost like on a length here of just a review instead of a recap i think our, our homecoming spider-man went for about an hour and a half uh yeah. and we've done a whole recap in nearly the same time so fuck when spider-man homecoming comes out and we do a recap we're gonna be here for like eight hours uh, round of applause for us yes exactly that was this is uh this is great and did i hear casper one gra- in this episode this- i don't think so this is the most groundbreaking Thing in the history of media since a black man became an action hero in Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness me. I agree completely. Yes. Hashtag the Oz Network Lives Matter. What? <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> let, let's wrap this up before Ben goes on another yeah, social that was rant a bit weird, here. Ben. Shut up, Ben. Just... <laughs> Thank you for joining us. We'll be back in seven days for Dawn of the Dead. My name is Colin, and they're coming to get you, Ben. And my name is Ben, and not like other Bens, I won't randomly shoot bold people. And thank you for listening, all of you ordinary-looking people. 
Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.